Welcome to episode 98 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. Last week, we looked at our second batch of games from issue 40 of Zap 64, which we are in no way affiliated with, and were frozen frigid by the game's winter edition, stupefied by Street Fighter, and became an ass man in Dream Warrior. This week, we conclude our look at the games in August 1988, along with what was lighting up our TV and cinema screens that month. So, Graham, please tell us what cornucopia of delights this week has in store. In this delicious tin of Harrods brand coffee beans, specially made for the bean to cup machine of an episode, we once again explore the chugging polygon world of the Freescape engine as we lump around the bland geometric shapes turned buildings of Darkseid, flit about the spectrum fueled deja vu flick screens of yet another walk and seek Borathon with Metropolis, dive in a time machine ahead to 1984 to explore what a Monty Mall game with a traffic warden would be like in the crap and badly named Chubby Gristle, and then scoot around some commando-like landscapes in our war buggy, shooting and avoiding stuff in Marauder. Do you put milk and sugar in your coffee, or coffee in your milk and sugar? We also prepare the eye drops as our retinas are challenged in the Rastabar fueled and interesting puzzler. Oops! Dive, dive, dive! Though only to the bottom of a fish tank in the dreary war in an aquarium world of Aquanaut, recoil in horror at the awfulness of a game based around broken garden paths in the stupid crazy paving, prepare to kill it with fire as we look at yet another arcade obscura with the downright broken and naff shackled before all faith is restored as we take a moment to look at the moon, admire its heavenly glory, and then head into the castle to kick some ass with a legendary C64 game, Bruce Lee. Thankfully, Bruce Lee appears to remind us that crap games don't hit back. Or do they? And knowing what's in store, I know that's a big fat lie. <laughs> yes, well, I would never big up things that are not big up a pull. A big up a pull. A big up a pull. Big up a pull. Big up a pull. Big up a pull. It doesn't matter which way round you look at these turds. Um, <laughs> now you can hold them up to the light. You can inspect them. You could bloody sugar encrust and diamond encrust these things it's still a turd isn't it it's yeah sorry you know our scatological criticisms are going to come in <laughs> thick and fast if i keep using that word i, I think say, they I'll, might you know you know we don't want to offend anybody so but um there's been some real difficult games Chal- these are challenging games and not Challenge, necessarily challenging games difficult. challenging title screens challenge to find information on some of them they're so obscure yeah yes yes they are this has been a tr- tricky week a tricky tricky week and a it has and a, just a continuation of the crap that 1988 continues to throw at us not that i'm spoiling the episode coming up <laughs> and as horrible as for games um, not all of them but just so many are well, there you go yeah they're plumbing depth they're plumbing depth yeah they um, are constantly but anyway i've been re-watching all of the um, bedroom to billions films oh, okay yeah just for a bit of research and as i've watching them and i hear all the reverie and all of the amazing stories that come out of those and then i re- think about all the games we've played i'm wondering how the hell any of them became bloody billionaires 
<laughs> well, it's because they were ripping ripping the kids off left, right, and centre. Well, that's, yeah, that's... some some of them in there. I mean, this obviously is not everybody was doing that, but um, yeah, it's just it's a wonder that I, I can sort. Of, I'm starting to see why some of the games stand head and shoulders above the others, and it's not necessarily because they're great; it's because so many of them aren't. Um, so <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's almost like in the land of the in the land of the blind, the one eye. One-eyed man is king. It's uh, it's one of that, isn't it? It's like you're, it you're is not very perfect, much that, but, yeah. but at least you're not, um, you know, Lee Enfield. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. You know, if in a sea of Lee Enfields, you know, you don't have to work hard to create a, in a game that would blow everyone away, would you? Really? No, that is true. And we've certainly and a, seen a sea that. of it's, a sea of Lee Enfields is not the collective noun for that either. I can tell you, and that's a crap of Lee Enfields. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's just by the by, an observation, an aside, something yeah. that isn't dressed in scatological terminology for once. I'm also I'm I'm also gonna put a guest together that for the games this week. Someone you know, someone commented on a on a on a Discord saying like how they do like it when we have a disagreement like we did about Desolator um mm. and things like that. I'm gonna guess I'm gonna hazard a guess that probably this week there's not gonna be much in the way of disagreement. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Yes. But you know I I'm I'm I have a feeling in my waters um <laughs> that um that there's going to be a lot of agreement about some of these games yes. uh, that we've got coming up for you. As it says at the beginning of Command & Conquer Red Alert, time will tell. Indeed. Right, should we get on with some of these uh, these games then? I think that's probably a good Nine move. to get through. No, I don't want to, but let's do it. Let's do it. Let's get into our first one. And our first one is, well, it's a Sizzler. It is a Sizzler, so, you know, it bodes well. This is a full price. It's 90%. This is Dark Side. Yeah, it's Dark Side. So I'm just going to go from the manual first, and I'll tell you what it is. So see if you can guess from the manual. 200 years on from Driller Times. Yeah. Since when has a game <laughs> become an epoch? Or whatever you want to call it. That's how long it takes to play it. <laughs> 200 years on from Driller Times, when the, when the screen refresh has <laughs> finally happened. <laughs> <laughs> The uh, the Ketars take revenge. Uh-huh. Um, on the dark side of Evath's other moon, a tricuspid, which is a tooth. <laughs> we said that last time, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was a yeah a, a giant weapon. Zephyr One has been constructed, aimed to blow Evath to bits, literal bits. Boo. Um, I know. So to gain sufficient power, a network of ECDs, which are energy collection devices, were constructed around the moon. The suspended solar cells at the ECD apex collects energy from Evath's sun, then transmits the this energy through the power line matrix for the final result. Sinal salt, sorry, on Evath Kind. Who wrote this? You've been dropped inconspicuously on Tricuspid. I love that. Just inconspicuously. <laughs> that means you are noticed, but you're just inconspicuous. Like got sunglasses <laughs> on, maybe a beard. Yeah, don't notice me. Don't 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 notice me in my jetpack. I am <laughs> yeah, just, just disguised. Ho- I'm just on my holidays, just taking some photos with my laser gun. So you've been dropped inconspicuously on Tricuspid into a safe zone. Why would you need to be inconspicuous if you're in a safe zone? By a routine patrol ship. They just fly off a just routine over the alien planet. Why they didn't blow it <laughs> all up? All routines, all in a day's work. <laughs> Your mission is to destroy every ECD, thus disabling the Zephyr 1 weapon and saving Eva from certain destruction. Yes, this is the next in the Freescape series of games, first unveiled some time back. When was it? I can't remember. With Driller. And as you might expect, is more of the same. 
filled in 3D, exploration filled, with puzzle solving uh, and trying to work out exactly how to save the planet. It's a roam around. It's, it's Driller. It It's just, it's Driller. <laughs> Let's not beat around the bush. They can put a different bit of music on it. They can put a different title screen on it. They can lay out the level slightly different, but it's Driller. Yeah, yeah. It's Driller. The game was released by Incentive Software. It's got code by Sean Ellis and music by Mr. Wally Bebben. There's no title screen to speak of. He just says press key to get going. There is a demo mode to watch, I suppose. And upon start, yeah, you just press a key and off you go. You start off in the Regulus sector. That's the Regulus sector. And players of Driller will be familiar with the layout. Most of the top part of the screen is taken up with your first-person view of the world around you. At the top at the top of this is your score and the power of the ECDs on the planet, I believe. I think that's what it is. On the left is your angle of vision. I don't know why that's there. I can tell if I'm looking up or down. I guess if I go all the way up or down, but it takes so long to do that, I would notice. It's not like I'm just going to do it by accident. And on the right uh, is your mission timer, and that should please any fans of the Predator's Countdown Clock as it is a little bit unintuitive to understand at a glance. (laughs) I was watching it go, and I was like, just just counting up, and then a dot would it counting up. Just give me a series of numbers. Don't be clever. You need all the processing power you can get. Don't be fancy with your timers. Yeah, you need to think about the cycles, man. (laughs) (laughs) Optimization, Hitch. Give me some numbers. Sure, it'd be easier to work out than this county thing. In the bottom half of the screen are your details, which include your shield and fuel strength, whether your jetpack is on or not, your coordinates in the world given by an X, Y, and Z uh, number, a compass, uh, the amount you turn and the move forward with each movement, so you can increase those so you know, in step coordinates, step amounts, I guess, or turn amounts. And there's finally a square, and this was in Driller as well, it made me laugh to tell you how close to completing your present input the system is. It's so slow, this, that you have to let you know that it's still working it out. Um, but there you go. So what it is, This the controls, <laughs> this is similar to Driller. The joystick turns your view uh, and moves you forwards and backwards, fire shoots your lasers. A tap of the space bar switches to free aim, and you can move your cursor around the screen with the joystick to blast at stuff. Another tap of the space bar locks it back in the center and brings you back to your movement, so you, you, you can do that. J turns your jetpack on and off, um, and then you can use R and F to rise and fall with it, but be careful to not run out of fuel, um, as a fall from any distance in this game is instant death. Yeah, that's instant death. You are dead immediately. If your jetpack is off, though, uh, so F makes you crouch and R makes you stand back up. So I, I get that, rise and fall. It kind of works, I guess. P and L not the ferries, uh, make you look up. Is it P&L? That's P&L, isn't it? Uh, P&L make you look up and down respectively and comma and full stop tilt your view left and right. At least that's what it was on my keyboard. I don't know if that's the same as what they were back on the C64. So that's what you can do. Finally, if you press I, it brings up the in-game menu where you can load or save a game. You can quit out or you can turn the music on or off. So that's it. That's how you control this. You move about, you do stuff. To complete the game, you've got to navigate this world. You've got to disable all the ECDs by shooting them, um, but they must be turned off in a certain order. So this means you've got to study the world. You've got to have a look around. You've got to figure out how they're connected. Um, and you've got to sort of, you can't just go around willy-nilly turning them off. You've got to do it in the right order. But, you know, oh, if you didn't get on with Driller, you're not going to get on with this. It's puzzles, there's stuff to run into, there's weird things, the view changes, you can warp to places. I don't know. Just... None of this is particularly friendly. Everything I said about Driller is just as relevant here. I don't remember being particularly, you know, whatever, but it's just Driller again. Like with Driller, I applaud the ambition, the technical chops to make a game like this in 64K and with that processor. But, you know, it's just no fun to play. Even running the, um, I even tried it, I saw a tip saying, run it as fast as you can on an emulator and run the music in a, in a SID player beside it. It's still boring. It's too slow. 
even up in the emulator, I said, it's just no fun. The music here for Mr. Bedman is good. Uh, it's not as good as Driller's music, though. Um, it's an okay piece. It's all right, but I, I preferred the music and Driller. Um, and it, all, all told, it just this just feels too similar to that first game. There's no progression. This is just, they've just reskinned Driller. They've just remapped Driller. That's it, what it felt like to me. So don't don't seem like there's any optimization in the code. Maybe there is, but Zap even Zap in their review said, and there's a the the review in Zap is is really we've got to give this a decent review because of what it is. I felt there's a lot of uh, it's really slow and it's a bit boring and a bit dull. Mm. But you know, you know, if you get into it, it's really good and the it really bites and the you know you really get exploring and stuff. But you know, oh, it's really slow, really boring. But it's really good if you like it. All the comments were like that. It's like yeah, they're all like massive thumbs up. And like, did you actually like this or did you? Doesn't seem like you did. Just be honest. It's not very good. It's boring to play. And it was back then. You know, if you like this kind of thing, um, this slow chug through a blocky world, and there's a lot to go out here, I guess. Fueled and shield recharges, things to shoot, puzzles to solve, a world to explore. But it just asks too much of the player these days to really get into it. It's just simply too slow. I thought this back then as well. I wanted to like these games. As we've discussed before, first-person shooter games are usually my bread and butter. I'm a big first-person shooter fan, first-person game. We saw with the Eidolon. They can be done well on the CC2. I know you didn't agree, but the, that, had a, that had more pace than this, shall we say. Um, and they could really draw me in. I sort of like that sort of thing. But the open world nature of this, the obscurity, the painful slowness, nah, it doesn't invite me to keep trying with it. For some, this is treacle from heaven, um, but not for me. Um, and everything I said about Driller could be said here as well. I, I, I'd struggle to actually say anything new about this because it just feels like a reskin Driller. And, you know, you could just go back and listen to what we said about that. Yes, well done. You've got 3D, filled 3D working on the Commodore 64, but at what cost? That cost is a game to actually enjoy. So that's what I thought. What about you? Same, 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 same. I mean, you, you get away with the novelty of it a little bit in Driller because Freescape was new. It's quite interesting. But if you yeah. come back with a sequel, you can't just come back with the exact same thing in a different order. You know, this is like giving someone the exact same jigsaw, but made from different shaped pieces. It's like, Mm-hmm. I I, there's nothing in it for me with these. Um, I admire the technicality of the game engine they use to create this all this freescape stuff, and I get all of that. You know, wow, amazing! But the end product is what you actually have to go by. No one's going to sit there and and applaud their ten pound well spent and go. You know what? The technicality of this game is amazing as they sludge their way through the trudgery <laughs> of one frame per second blockiness. Um, I just I find myself just chugging and chugging, and it is slow. I don't like games like this you know just as an experiment as a little thought experiment if you want to experience real life dark side or real life driller go make a cup of tea but every time you take a step and or every time you do anything pause for a second between every single part of that process <laughs> and you'll find out how quickly and annoying it becomes one step into the kitchen then another then another then you turn to the right go towards the kettle go further towards the kettle it's just it's just it isn't fun now I don't like the chug, chug, chug nature of it, but even if you put that to one side and said, okay, well then, you know, that's just the parameters of the game and the computer and it's 8-bit and it's 1988 and wow, it's amazing. All right. This isn't a very compelling world either. It's just lots of 3D brown and green shapes clumping around the place. Nothing Mm -hmm. like, uh, I mean, even the Sentinel, as much as we... Um, you know, it's a it's a puzzle and a very different type of game. It was a it was a little bit more visually compelling than this. This is just quite dull to look at. Um, 
you know, it, it's like a, a boring garden centre where you can't escape and it's dull as dishwater and garden centres are pretty boring generally. Yeah, they are. Um, it felt unresponsive and slow, but you know, what am I comparing that with? Driller? Well, that was unresponsive and slow. You know, I moved the joystick and maybe, you know, the, the, the player's going to move in, in half an hour or something. I, can't, I haven't got time for that. I didn't have time for it back then. It mean, means to me they're not compelling enough. I can't get into the game fast enough for me to enjoy it. I'm so bored by the time I've got near the door that I'm trying to get through. I think, oh, what was the point of that anyway? And then I find the door was closed. I'm like, oh, you know what? Get lost. This thing kept <laughs> shooting at me when I started the game. I'm like, what? Just, what are you? Why are you even there? Why start a game when someone's shooting at you immediately and, you, and you're not even really ready for it? I'm like, just go away. Mm-hmm. So now... Um, I don't really like this. I mean, no, 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 no. This, the soundtrack is really good. I do really like the music to all of the Freescape games have got a great audio. No, no denying it. Is it as good as Driller? No, not really. But, it, no, it's Wally Bebbins kind of hypnotic beat, similar to the Tetris music, actually, and the one that he does yeah, for later it's, for it's Total not, Eclipse. It's not, it's not bad. It is very good. It's just not, not as good as Matt Gray's Driller. But it's just... Does it suit this kind of game? It's the only thing holding the damn thing together. If you turn that off, it's like the world's worst silent movie. It's, it's a nightmare. <laughs> Um, so now, not compelling, basically a repeat of Driller. I don't like games that just chug, chug, chug around. And, and that, me saying the word chug, chug, chug is actually a lot faster than it actually is because it's like chug, chug. Yep. It's no, no, not for me that. If you can cope with it, <laughs> I don't, I mean, I, I don't know anybody that does, but there must be people out there that thought it was the bee's knees. You know, I imagine there's people who are probably still playing it right now because they haven't got to the end of it, load, you know, running yet. From the first time they loaded it up <laughs> back in 1988. <laughs> exactly. When they complete it, they'll be over the moon when they get there. Um, no, not for me, this. Uh, just, I don't believe the review. I don't. 90%, really? No, thanks. I don't believe it. It's certainly not a Sizzler. No way. No way. And, and this is uh, average at best. It's an average free skate game, if you look at it that way. Um, and since mm. there's only two of them, that's not great, is it? The average is pretty low. Yeah. <laughs> so, is- no. Not for me. Not for me either. No, there you go. Dark side. That's the highest scoring game this week. Mm. There we go. Good start. <laughs> a slow start. Yeah. A slow plodding, start. A plodding start. Plodding start. Plodding start. Let's move on. Let's see if the next one is any better. And Graham, it's down to you to tell us what it's like wandering around the metropolis. Do you know, this is a bit of a bit of a crap fest, isn't it, this? <laughs> I mean, it's $1.99, all right? This is from um, the Powerhouse, isn't it? Um, yes. I didn't realise, but the Powerhouse is CRL's budget wing. Did you know that? Oh, is that what it is? Yep. I didn't realise that. <laughs> Christ on a bike. That makes all kinds of sense. Yep. You're not good enough for our full price release. <laughs> and our full price releases are not good enough for that. <laughs> now, this this is a port of a Spectrum game, which was and an Amstrad game, I think, which was by somebody called or is conceived by somebody called Neil Latache. Um but the C sixty four port is just by Bob. Just Bob. That's the only credit I could find. Bob. Yeah, Bob. And the, and the sounds by Fred. Bob and Fred did this. Bob and Fred. But do you want to put your name to it? Uh I well, no. I wouldn't choose to do that, no. There's some strange things here. This, this, there is a. I'm going to read you the blurb that I've got because this is the blurb from in the game. Um, because this appears because it's got a little bit of you know. And by the way, yellow text on Commodore Brown. Even reading this makes me need a poo. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'll read it anyway. Um, it Don't says, do it. Uh, "Don't do it." Not live on air. <laughs> um, it says, "Metropolis instructions. Moon boots is stranded. Sorry, stranded because they can't oh. spell this correctly. Is stranded." <laughs> In Metropolis, somewhere in the city, 
His spaceship is waiting to be refueled to lift him off back to his home on the moon. Now, I'm having trouble reading this, not because it's difficult to read, but because the line spacing between them is so cramped that it's like the text is on the typeface is sat right on top of each other, which makes it harder to read. Just mm-hmm. Line height, people, line height. Secret passages connect some rooms together and can only be traversed by holding the correct objects. I'm already bored of this game. I haven't even started yet. Moon Boops can metamorphose, sorry, metamorphose into any of his three companions on Metropolis, and they in turn have metamorphic powers. It is sometimes necessary to possess the form of a certain character to progress correctly, to the city and its grounds, but beware of the nasties which drain your strength. Now, by the way, the three characters in this game, you can play as Moonboots, which is your character, which is the astronaut. An astronaut. There's also Zoid the Droid, uh, Super Spy, and the Mad Monk. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not? Rasputin's popped up. <laughs> the Mad Monk, everyone. Here he comes. The Mad Monk. Golf clap for the Mad Monk. Here he comes. Don't get near him. Why He's not? mad. He's crazy. He's, he's crazy. wacky. He's, 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 he's out of control. He is out of control. So, <laughs> this is a obviously, not obviously, actually, this is a flick screen um, arcade adventure. Akin to the very games that it's ripped off blatantly, which are the Magic Knight games, without a doubt. I mean, it, has, I, it wouldn't surprise me if you cut this open uh, and had a look at the code and saw, you know, some of the code from those games in there. It is that close to how they operate, in my yeah. view. Anyway, so um, principally then, you go from flick screen location to flick screen location, picking up elements and put, um, solving little puzzles, which will enable you to get further into the game. Sound familiar? Sounds very familiar to me. Um, on each of the screens, of which I have no idea how many there are because I the information on this game is scarce. I'm, I'm guessing there's probably quite a few. Um, you have different kinds of enemies which will drain your energy. Um, and your energy is here displayed as like a... a it's like a pyramid of bricks. It's like a brick pyramid. I don't... It's like looks like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. That's exactly is, what I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought it was. Let's put it... Let's say it is that. So you're on the main display, which is... And the graphics of this game are all very Spectrum-esque. The main display at the top, you've got your title of the game, um, the... I think the room that you're in, because each of the room has a name very similar to all of the games it's ripping off. Your mm-hmm. Maslow's hierarchy of needs is next to that. Then you've got a couple of objects you can hold with the, what they are na- labelled. So, you know, what tells you. And then you've got your lives of which you get... Um, you control your moon boots chap um, with the joystick. It actually, he actually moves pretty quick in the environment. The graphics are basically a spectrum graphics, so lots of high-res, not really pixel-shaded anything. Your main sprite is one colour, white, um, so and also you can see right through his head and through his... You know, it's not good, that. Um, no. So it's single-colour sprites. It's a spectrum game, you know, ported to the C64, um, and it's a spectrum game ripping off another game in the short adventure that I had in this game, I went from room to room. Um, I went over some objects and picked them up and exchanged them for the objects I was carrying. I had absolutely no clue what I was supposed to do with them. No clue that they did anything. I periodically went through a door, lost some energy. As my pyramid slowly descended, so did all hope I had of anything. Um, and so I wasn't left with a great feeling. So for me, this was... And, and that's how the game plays. It's a, It's an arcade adventure akin to any of the Magic Knight games, but principally, probably... And it's actually a little bit of Nodes of Yes Odd maybe in there, just because it's an astronaut, I think. Um, your main sprite's quite big. I'll give you that. You are quite big. But then so was the one in um, Spellbound. It was about the same height as the one in Spellbound. Strange, that. Principally the same height and the same colour as well, nearly. Wow. Mm. Anyway, so for me, this was... 
this is kind of the eight. Is this kind of? I mean, there's a question for you actually. Is this? Do you think this is kind of the atypical Spectrum game? Was there was there a lot of these games on the Spectrum? These kind of arcade. I, I don't click know screeners? for sure, but I but I reckon so. I reckon it must it, have been the, quite the, a few. The, the Spectrum, the Amstrad weren't built for scrolling, were they? So yeah, so that hence the flick screen part. And I mean, yeah. you fl- you go between the screens, you jump about, you pick objects up, and then you maybe use them, maybe you don't. It's cheap. It's the only thing that you can say that's positive about this at one ninety nine. It's yep. nothing original in the slightest here. Absolutely nothing. And if you like the Magic Knight games and you've played through them all, maybe, maybe you'd like this. Maybe. Because it's kind of the same thing. I think you'd just, you know, if you like that, you'd probably like this. There's loads to map, lots of to explore, probably. Loads of things that will uh, kill you very quickly. And they'll really annoy you with that as well because they're just always in the way. Always in the way. Some of them are almost impossible to avoid. So you'll you'll end up losing energy and dying at some point anyway because of that. Um, very spectrum-y. There wasn't really any sounds or any music to speak of which is one of the strengths of at least Spellbound. It has that decent Hubbardy score. There's nothing in here that's really that good. I suppose the only thing you can say about this, it's cheap and fast, which, you know, is like an Alabama hooker. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. I knew something like that was about to darken my ears. Not that I've ever experienced anything like that, nor have I ever been to Alabama, nor am I casting aspersions on anyone from Alabama. Um, that could be the person's <laughs> name. Um, anyway, I didn't like this because it was rubbish. What about you? No, it's dreadful. <laughs> It's, God, no, 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 no. I'm not having this. No, I'm, I'm not wandering around bland spectrum style screens with random enemies moving whilst I pick up objects to try and figure out where they go. I'm not doing it. I'm not. It's an ugly game. It's spelled stranded with a T. I don't like that. In its very first sentence, strand it. <laughs> it just, that instantly made me go, ah. yeah, like you were do. probably, you know, I twitching at the brown and yellow and the lack of line height. I was twitching at the T, stranded with a T. Just strand yeah. it. Jesus Not Christ. Cool. The sounds are annoying, bleeps and bloops. The main character is okay, I guess, but yes, see-through. But the backgrounds of colour clash, which shouldn't be a thing on the C64. And the names of rooms are annoying, and there's no sense in any of this. Even for two quid, I'm so sick of these games and this style of monotonous wandering from room to room. And in two minutes of this, of putting this on, I just wanted to turn it off. Stop, stop making these. Stop it. For the love of God, stop making these and stop making us play them every bloody week absolutely at least they're not isometric anymore that was a phase wasn't it there was all spectrum isometric games oh, now God, yeah, don't stupid flick screen arcade Look, adventure type things if, if 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 i've learned anything from doing this podcast right now just as you said that the monkey's finger has curled up <laughs> uh, and i bet has. over the next rest of this year we'll be inundated with one color isometric spectrum slowness parts. Probably, maybe. Yeah, this is rubbish. Metropolis. No, yeah, and really hard to find any information on. Who knew? I mean, I'm good. You know, I don't. Yeah, it's just awful. Just an awful no, game. I really bad. hated it. Just stop it. Even for two quid, just boring, boring, and boring. There's better versions of this, and they're not very good. So you can play Spellbound. At least you die of exhaustion. That Spellbound. Nighttime. What was the one? What was the one last last week we had? Uh, Stormlord, Finders Keepers. They're all better than this. At least they've got that, you know, clever Windy Mation stuff and everything like that. And there's a, you know, yeah. good Hubbard music and things like that. This felt well, not the most one we're going to get this this episode, but this felt like um, this felt like had more in it akin with something like Jet Set Willy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that old. It's hold that, that old. Hold that thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hold that thought. But that's what this felt like. Um, yeah, absolutely, it did. So it may very well be. I mean, I couldn't find a great deal out about the C64 version. This could have been cre- launched on the Spectrum years ago, for all yeah. I know. I couldn't find a lot about it. I don't know. Yeah, because it's that crappy way you got to climb upstairs by jumping. Oh, don't. I'm, I'm, you gave me a flashback <laughs> and I didn't want that. <laughs> exactly. It's just stupid and rubbish. Let's move on. This is, and why is it called Metropolis? 
You're in a house, most of it, that I could see. Don't know. They didn't, they didn't even have the kids to put a, a decent Kraftwerk soundtrack on it. That would have at least lifted it a bit if it had, you know, Metropolis no. by, by Kraftwerk playing in the background. Yeah, yeah, no. It, but it doesn't, does it? <laughs> no, it has nothing. No. Let's leave this Metropolis and move on to our next one. I'm sure it cannot be worse. <laughs> it's just chubby gristle. I hate that wording. I hate it. It actually hurts to say the words chubby gristle. No one likes gristle. The no logo one. on the cassette is made from sausages and eggs and bacon. <laughs> it's just horrible. Everything about this is ugly, horrible, and cheap. Um, everything. Look at it. Look. I'll, I'll, oh, it's just dog awful. This thing. Yeah, it's, no one likes gristle. Nobody. What the hell is Chubby Gristle? It's a person. I, I can't even think what that would be. Ugh. Anyway, oh, this is full price as well. It's from their premier range, you know. <laughs> this is full price. Full price. Who did this? I, I didn't know who did it. Please don't tell me it's CRL. It's Bug Bite. No, it's Bug Bite Premier. It's, Bug Bite. it's, a, it's, it's got their cassette's got like a gold frame and it says Bug Bite Premier. <laughs> oh, oh my. <laughs> Bloody Nara. Oh, it does, doesn't it? Bug Bite. Chubby Gristle. Ugh, right. You play a fat parking attendant. Hilarious. <laughs> That's what you are. Chubby Gristle is your name. Hold my sides. They're about to split. Absolutely. Chubby Gristle is your name, and you are a traffic warden. That one. And in this horror of a game, you have to stuff yourself stupid to avoid trips to the health farm. That's it. That's this nightmare. Yes. Chubby's goal <laughs> is to make himself weigh one ton by eating everything he can on the 21 screens of terrible 1984-style platforming. The C64 version is released by... I've got it down by Grand Slam Entertainment. I think that's who who actually did release yes. the full price one. I think the bug the bug uh, bug bite one is the probably the budget release. Yeah, it could be. Could yeah, be. so according to Zap, it's Grand Slam. Yeah, so this is Grand is then, Grand Slam Entertainment. Full price for this, goodness me! I, I know it's 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 appalling. God, what is this? Yeah, Grand Slam, and for this bang up to date slice of action, they ask him ten pound. Not even a budget. It was programmed by Bill Gaunt and Pete Hickinson. Why is it two people? With visuals by Mark Edwards. And the music is by Ben Daglish on a, on a very off day. Very, very yeah, off day. Kidding. Well, none of this is good. The title screen has a scrolling credits message uh, along the bottom and some expanded sprites spelling chubby bouncing around. Couldn't even multiplexer to do the entire name. Couldn't even do <laughs> no. the full chubby gristle. So Just naff. chubby. Um... Pressing fire starts the game, but also the time machine as you are whisked back to a period when Manic Miner was cutting edge and single-colour horrors were the norm. Um, each screen is a horrible melange of gaudy colours and ugly sprites, whilst that nightmare of a tune warbles away in the background. The controls are simple enough with just left and right to move, up and down to climb ropes, and fire to jump. It's a, it's a plat- it's an old-school 1984-83-style platformer, this is, you know, with crazy enemies, whatever. The objective is to collect anything on a screen and then move on to the next one. You can move back and forth between the screens, I guess. If you'd want to, you won't, but you could. Enemies are random sprite designs that range from missiles to cogs and other random crap. The game is fast, I'll give it that, but all the animations are too fast. Everything feels sped up. And my emulator wasn't running fast. It just, it just feels, you know, like it's running too fast. I don't know. The animated character sprites for the Red Water... I think that's what it was on that opening screen. It's just too quick. It's too quick. It moves too quick. There's no feeling to what that is. It's just a red blur of crap. 
Nothing feels good about this. Screens are made up of annoying jumps. The collision detection is too punishing, so death is never, ever far away. Because the pixel-perfect jumping you have to do to get past some of these patrolling enemies is just a nightmare. This looks like another in a long line of straight uh, straight spectrum reports from from my eyes, with no attempt to take advantage of the C64 in any real way. Supposedly, the main character is actually based on a traffic warden who worked outside the offices where this was built. And he was so obnoxious, they made a game out of him. Charming. Yeah, indeed. None of this is good. The visuals are ugly to the point of hellish. The music is naff. The levels are unpleasant to try and attempt. I hated this. I just hated it. From the moment I had, I read the name, I hated it. For, I was saying this the other week. Well, Chubby Gristle, that sounds bad. It was. From the moment it started, I was questioning my life choices, why I started this podcast, and anything else. Only upon turning it off did I feel better about myself. This is one of those games where my life was better not knowing of existence. I felt this was a nasty, horrible thing. I wanted it to be gone from my sight. I turned it off. Awful, awful thing. Terrible. Did you like it? No, I did not. Um, I am opposed strongly to a logo comprised of bacon, eggs, and sausages. <laughs> I don't think that should be allowed, and I don't think anyone should use two sausages to make a U. It's just, it's all kinds of wrong. And the Y, <laughs> let me tell you that, don't look like a sausage sticking up. Anyway. <laughs> that, that bacon's happy to see the bees. <laughs> it is, I was going to say. <laughs> it's just, everything about it is horrible. Even the instructions, if you look at the instructions, it says, it says, on a good day, he's barking out instructions such as, yeah. you can't bark here, but if you happen to be in, in a favour, he'll probably mumble, I'll have a word with t- commissioner. And so clearly they're placing this person in a specific area as well. I don't like that. I don't like this whole agenda it has. And it's a weird idea to fat shame somebody in a game and make the aim of the game to make them fatter and then reward them by going home. And, and it's just weird. That's a weird premise for a game. And I'm not sure really that this isn't just a reimagined Manic Miner slash Monty Mole with a different character in it because it looks exactly like those. Yeah, it does. Um, it's very, very Monty so. Mole looking. Um, so in a very short order i've played games like this before and i've played ones that are better um, and by a mile there's nothing in the original about this it's clearly repurposed from other variants of different things lots of high-res creatures in peril games out there aren't they run about fall and die jump around it's like i said monty mall manic miner i mean the, yeah. the balls of the balls of these people to release is at full price jeez at this yeah. time 15 quid if you bought the disc version <laughs> oh my lord the Imagine graphics, that. I suppose, you could argue that they're quite detailed, but they they all look like exactly like you would expect to look. If you said something, it just looks like a, a a fat traffic warden in a Monty Mole game. You'd know exactly what he looked like. You don't, you know, don't think overthink it. It's exactly what I've just described. Mm-hmm. Like you said, the controls are over responsive and twitchy to the point when it's almost impossible to get past some of the enemies and the timing cycles of the up and down and the, you know the clearly Monty Mole manic manner driven sort of process. Mm-hmm. Like them all, uh, and as you rightly described, I found the music to be a, like a dental drill orchestra. Um, <laughs> so not any fun at all. Avoid awful, bloody awful thing. Full price, no. And the name's awful. Bad logo. Bad logo. That's bad use of sausages. That is <laughs> absolutely. Don't like, it. Don't like it at all. No, no. Let's move on. We've got one more left. This part. This is a great half. This is. <laughs> I wonder if it'll get any Shockingly better. Shockingly good, isn't it? <laughs> it's all eggs. Oh, chubby gristles. What a horrible thing. Let's move on. Graham, take us uh, to the break by telling us all about Marauder. So, a uh, bit more interesting, at least, this, um, on the surface anyway. Yeah. Uh, this is from Houston. Um, Houston didn't always turn out great games or bad games, but this is produced by Arcanum Software Developments, coded by Robert McGowan and Mark... And now I'd read this as Mark Jelly, and I was really hoping that was his name, but it's not. It's Mark W.J. Kelly. Quite disappointed. I was hoping it'd be a Mr. Jelly. 
<laughs> but there you go, because he could live next door, couldn't he? Did he live uh, next anyway. door? I was about to say. <laughs> anyway, never uh, ever bloody by- anything ever, <laughs> ever. <laughs> Nicholas bloody past. Uh, the graphics are by Steve Crow. The title screen was uh, Mr. Sir to you and me, Stephen Robertson. That's Sir, ah, Captain, sir. sir, the boss man, Sir, yeah. Sir to you and me, mm. Sir to you and me. And the musician is Barry Leach. Um, he's quite a famous musician on the old C64, Barry Leach. He is. Um, he's done quite a lot of amazing stuff in his time. So mm. uh, nice to see quite an interesting little team there. Anyway, the scenario then. In eons past, a cruel and despotic civilization stole the jewels of Ozymandias and buried them deep beneath the multiple defences on the planet Murgatron. <laughs> Heavens to Murgatrons. <laughs> Heavens to Murgatron. You've, stopped, you've buried my jewels, man. You've- I'm Ozymandias. Heavens to Megatron. <laughs> Heavens to Megatron, where they where they remain pulsating strangely to the present day. A pulsating jewels. <laughs> now, with the crude civilization long decayed and cracked, the creaking auto defenses of Megatron swept low with the sands of time, um, wind thunderously into action at any hint of intrusion. And you, Captain CT, with your lone marauder battle car, are determined to retrieve the jewels from the eternity's remorseless grip. <sighs> Airborne drones scream low overhead, their bouncing bombs pitching and blasting. The desert sands kick in your face as your marauder skids squat, skids squat and ugly. Its massive laser cannon crash firing the defences to oblivion. Honestly. Spinning iPods, <laughs> spinning iPods, spinning iPods close you down and electro hoverers spit fire as seeker missiles shudder over the horizon. You know, you can't just add random words to the word missiles and things and fire. <laughs> Just to make it sound more futuristic, it just makes it sound silly. It feels like it's been written by uh, by mm-hmm. someone that's just stripped over the thesaurus, haven't they? Mm-hmm. We'll spin and screech as your battle car heaves to confront <sighs> the pursuers. Heaves, it does. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm heaving, dry heaving. With energy levels dropping, you scan desperately beyond the beyond the aliens. You spot a distant weapon beacon. Can you battle to the beacon to recharge your besieged craft? Battle to the beacon. So I like the idea of there being yeah. battles around bacon. Yeah. I do. Just bacon slap in and all sorts. It could be crazy, that. Um, so you've got maneuver your battle car through each zone, destroying as many of the defense systems as you can whilst avoiding the flak from the atomic disruptors and Molotov cocktails and dodging de- and dodging deadly winder missiles and other destructive devices. You start the game with three smart bombs, which are activated by pressing the space bar. Along the way, you'll come across the glowing defense beacons, which, when shot, Will either help or hinder your progress depending on the colour they are when hit. The colours are red, extra smart bomb, yellow, shield, cyan, win one ship, blue, control reverse, purple, lose one ship, green, laser jammed for 10 seconds. At the end of each level, the defences throw everything they've got at you. If you survive, you are transported to the next level. And so it goes on and on and on and on and mm. on. So it's shoot 'em up. Yay, big shoot 'em up that. Um so a nice sort of upward scrolling shoot 'em up. Um, graphics actually are pretty good in Marauder, all said and done. Uh, I didn't think they were too bad. The layout is kind of shoot them up bit at the top. I'd say three quarters of the screen. And the UI, such as it is at the bottom, the UI is fairly simple in this game. Sort of a you know number of men left, how many men you have left, you score, number of smart bombs and that sort of thing. Quite nice, uh, quite nice sort of shading in the way that the graphics present themselves. It looks a little bit like someone's created a really elaborate pipeline over the Rambo set. Um, so it's a bit, so it's a bit like the sort of background graphics on the first level anyway are a bit like Rambo mm-hmm. with extra added pipes. And you control like a little um, vehicle, your little, uh, battle car, whatever it is, and with the objective of sort of going upwards and navigating your way through and shooting and fighting your way through to blast your way into the, I don't know, I don't know, you've got to find the jewel, haven't you? So that's, you've got to keep going. 
Mm-hmm. It's kind of a um, it's kind of a nice pace to this. It is it's it's a little bit it's a little bit like a sort of standard shooter. You control your your battle car. What is it? A battle car? Well, I forgot what it's even called. A marauder. Um, you're a marauder. You've, that's it. You're the marauder. So you control your marauder vehicle with a joystick, and it will go in sort of the directions that you point the joystick. So it's not ro- that rotational control that we've seen sometimes in these games. So it's more like a shoot 'em up. You could easily put a spaceship in this. Wouldn't well, have to be a, it's, it's a marauding commando. car, would it? It's commando, yeah, isn't it? Essentially, same sort of background as that, I suppose. Um, so I don't know. I quite like the graphic design in this. The graphics on in the game itself look quite nice. There's, there's sort of there's a nice, quite a nice title screen from Sir. That is pretty well drawn. It's just the same as the cover for, cover art, really. The sort of marauder vehicle. Mm-hmm. And then you obviously get into the game. There's some nice production value to it. Um, audio is pretty good. I quite liked it. It's quite long, actually, the audio for this, um, if you listen to, listen to it. it. goes on for quite a bit. It's quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, the game. As for the game itself, yeah, I suppose you, you, you could argue it is basically a you know commando with pipes or Rambo with pipes and things like that. When you get to the later levels, you get some quite nice parallax sort of scrolling effects, which are a bit, they look a bit like they're doing uh, things like Rebounder and things like that, where you've got that kind of busy effect. A parallax, I think, did a similar thing. So it's not dissimilar to the way some of Parallax kind of looks when you're in the walking around bit mm-hmm. in that kind of way. So there's quite nice technique to it. The graphics look quite nice. The sprites are quite nicely shaded. The pipeline is nice. The background graphics, there's a lot of brown and, and jungle bit. When you get to the sort of more sci-fi bits, they, they kind of look the part. Um, and there are enemy placements in there that will frustrate you beyond all reality. <laughs> because that is, for me, was the real problem with this, is that it was so ridiculously difficult. I mean, there's, there's difficulty in some games, but this one, my gosh. I mean, it's and it's not just difficult in terms of, um, it's not difficult in volume of enemies. This is difficult because they shoot exactly, they appear in, in, a, in the wrong place at the wrong moments in exactly the most difficult way. So it's not just about them sort of coming and thwarting your progress. They're, some of these things, are, I think, are almost unavoidable, and you quickly burn through your lives and, and your smart bombs. I mean, I struggled to get to the end of the first level, and I certainly didn't make it through the end barrage. It was just it was impossible. Um, I just couldn't really stand a chance. So I found it really nice to look at, really good sort of production level on this. It sort of had all that all the component parts, but I don't know how far I didn't get that far, so I don't know how far you get in it. Um, but I found it was I don't know. Um, the, I found it was a little bit devoid of enough shoot 'em upy stuff to make it a good shoot 'em up. It had all the difficulty, but none of the upgrades and weapons and things that you need. There's some basic power ups in there, but they're not really that good. They don't really do a great deal. You know, most of them. You know, there's one that I don't, I don't like games that have power ups that hinder you, so power downs as such. Mm. So the one that reverses your controls and thing, I don't like that in these sort of games. It's not, it's unless it's already difficult. You don't need to make it more difficult to control. That's, yeah. that's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So nice graphics, good scrolling. The scrolling is very good in this. N- nice sprite design, overbearing music a little bit. It's quite stompy for a shoot up, but okay, I'll get that go. The attack, did you try the sound effects, by the way? They sounded like a t- Atari 2600. They weren't very good at all. Mm. Um, controls, okay, that compass point thing, like you said, commando style, really. But the main issue is that difficulty. It's just so hard to get anywhere in this. I mean, you know, we're talking crazy. Di- For me, I found it crazy difficult. You might say, you know, I blasted through it, got to level nine or something. I certainly didn't. I got I got to the end, I think, of the first level once by a miracle. And even then it was, ne- I didn't last long. It was a, no, it was like the war between Tesco and, um, and uh, Denmark. Denmark. It lasted all of a few hours. Uh, anyway, so I don't know. Lessons learned, really, for these guys. I thought they'd have learned by now that you need to give your player more of a chance, a fighting chance in a game like this. Looks great. Crazy difficult shooter. Pretty expensive one as well, really, isn't it? So 
Mm. Don't know. I, I I liked how it looked. I didn't enjoy how it played. What about you? Yeah, pretty much the same. It's a. It feels. It's a strange game. This because it feels like a cross. I put it as a cross between. You said Rambo. So, command or well, world. Who dares wins and slap fight. Yeah, um, yeah. Because it has the waves and the sort who of dares annoy- slap. <laughs> who dares slap? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Commando slap. Oh. <laughs> Not sure anyone wants one of them. <laughs> Slap my commando. <laughs> um, another variant of that. Anyway, yeah, but that's what it is because it it has those sort of annoying things that come on, like you get in slap fight and what was the other game? There was another one that we just played lots of them sort of things. Uh, Flying Shark, I think, was another one like that. Yeah, that was Where you get one, the, yeah. those really sort of, they just be able to shoot you. At, and But it has that push scroll, you know, of commando. So yeah, you, yeah. you control yeah. the speed at which you regress. But then the waves come on at certain points in certain ways. Where you, so in that way, it was like slap fight. So it's it's not like commando in that it's just random enemies charging around and running about. This has programmed waves, but it's like, so anyway, it, it is what it is. So it's a bit weird, this, um, but it, it, as you rightly said, it's too punishing. It's too punishing to be very enjoyable. There are some nice touches, as you said. In-game, I thought the in-game music was excellent. I really, really liked the in-game music. Mm, it was great. Good, yeah. um, the front end is very polished. Um, you know, lots of raster colors and things and stuff going on. The game, or whatever's going on, but the, uh, the game is tuned to be too hard. It's too hard. It's just too hard. The collision boxes on you are way too big. So that's one of the problems with this game. Um, often bullets would destroy me, even though they were clearly going past me. I'd got out of the way. They would still yeah. kill me. So it's like the, the box around you is too big. Either it's the full sprite or whatever, but it's too big, and they've not tuned that properly to actually give you a, give you a fighting chance. So bullets should just graze you. They should just miss you. That's what's part, you know, giving the player it, but not hit you when it clearly hasn't hit you and you die, and you're like, oh. Because a lot of this is very tight quarters. That pipeline you're on about, it, it feels like a lot, not a lot of screen real estate to, to actually play in. I don't ever find it fast uh, fair as well when enemies can fire very fast at any angle. No matter where you are, they can fire at an angle. You can you can you're locked to the eight degrees. You can move in, so that feels unfair. So you've got to kind of got to get them at the angle that you can actually fire in, whereas they could just shoot wherever they want. Make it fair. Have them not be such a dead eye shot. They don't want bullets always aim towards you. Or make them slower or something. I don't know. I don't mind the visuals. I thought yeah, I thought it was quite well drawn and it, it does look nice. There's a lot of present that presentational niceness about this. Usually, I quite like games like this. I just found the play area is too cramped and a lot. I just couldn't get away from the bullets. All the bullets that were coming at me with an nearing accuracy, just too many, too much. You know, like like we had in IO. It's the same problem we had in IO. There's not enough, uh, you know, real estate to actually move about in. It's a bit of a shame. This it has the trappings of a decent little blaster. It could be an interesting. Could be fun. But it's been cursed with a stupid difficulty level and annoying collision. There's only five levels, so that's probably why. You know, they, mm. they want to. You know, do, how well we haven't got much of a game. So what do we do? Make it impossible. Oh, all right. Well, okay. And that's what they've done. So sixty six methodology we've seen many times before as well. Yeah, absolutely. Sixty six percent. This got. <sighs> probably about right probably for you know it's two-thirds there but it's what it's lacking is fairness it's lacking fairness absolutely um and instead of put that in there giving you a chance this could have been ace i would have really liked this you know that music playing through it bit of challenge but not too much yeah uh, could have been good i mean it also felt underneath it all apart from the sort of those balloon things you can shoot as well maybe the spout bomb it did feel a bit shooting up construction kit as well mm, to a degree maybe Mexico. i think that everything everything kind of looks that way though doesn't it because you can push one of them you can you know ever since that's come out those kind of push scholars we can you can make in there you could easily make something like this i reckon quite easily i think it's where they've used too much brown it looks I mean, like you it. can never use too much brown not on the C64. I've, co- I've come well to love done. the C64 brown. <laughs> over over my time, not. I've been brown-washed. <laughs> God's sake, that sounds gross. 
I bathe in it. <laughs> ah, the smell of it. Yeah, Marauder. It's all right. It was okay. Just too bloody hard. Uh, there we go. That's our first part. That's our first four games. A dark side. <laughs> That's what this part was, wasn't it? Dark side. It was the, it was the dark side, yeah. Dark side. So we, oh, yeah. I think we need a break. Let's take a break, and then we'll come back, yeah. and we'll, we'll talk about these later. But um, we're going to take a break. Come back, and then we'll be talking about TV uh, and film from August 1988. So hopefully there'll be some good stuff to talk about there. The novel Escape from the Commodore 64 by David Hearn is out now. Growing up in the 80s is a chore for Sarah, who feels misunderstood by her parents and badgered by Reese, her bothersome brother who incessantly prattles on about his treasured computer games. When Reese tells her one of the games tried to pull him inside the computer, she laughs off his fanciful fib. She waggles the joystick to disprove his fairy tale and is pulled into the computer. Now trapped in games she'd never had any interest in playing, how can she possibly beat them? With the help of Feisty Nell, another trapped player, can Sarah find her way back home or is it game over? An evil madman, a hostile planet, bloodthirsty robots, a never-ending throng of karate experts and relentless digital soldiers will do their best to ensure Sarah never escapes. Available from Amazon and all good online retailers, find out if there's a way out of the beige bread bin of betrayal for Sarah in Escape from the Commodore 64. Welcome back. Uh, this is film and TV in August 1988. See what's going on. What were we watching? Or were we still out playing uh, and doing stuff? I reckon there's a high probability that that's what they thought we were up to. 3rd right. of August, Brookside is moved from Tuesdays to Wednesdays, which means the soap can now be seen on Mondays and Wednesdays. <laughs> Earthshatteringnews.com. <laughs> I never it- watched Brookside my whole life. Never well, watched I, appreciate, I mean, that's just that's the same days as Coronation Street was back then, wasn't it? That was Monday and Wednesdays. Yeah, but it would be on a different time, wouldn't it? They'd have, they'd have aligned the soaps. I think it was. Is. I think Brookside was eight o'clock. Coronation yeah, Street was half go. seven. Bit yeah, edgier, could, was it? Brookside. I don't. I don't really know much about it. It was. Well, it was Channel. It was Channel Four edginess, wasn't it? Yeah. So yeah, it was. But yeah, because you could. I oh, know Emmerdale was Tuesdays, and oh, I can't remember. Soaps, man, soaps. Interestingly, it made me think actually about um, what I think it was David Hearn who was saying that he was surprised that he didn't expect to hear about you know us singing Sons and Daughters in, yeah. a, in an episode a few weeks back. Um, but you know your comment, I think around that, and this got me thinking about as well Brookside, um, which obviously had the famous lesbian kiss in it, the first lesbian kiss on British TV, I think it was, and things like that, oh, or, or whatever. So like it was the th- when you posted those pictures it really did stand out about like just the, the divergent audiences that were being aimed at with those australian soaps yes. and what we had in britain you know your home and away and your neighbors and the the, the cast of young characters that they had and the yeah. way that they looked compared to ear percy love <laughs> percy pass me them sausages percy yeah ooh, and the ooh. and the Get comedy coming from eddie yates and <laughs> People like that, exactly. Stan and Ilda, and things like that, which obviously you know, realistic, but no one wants. Well, to. they've been, they've injected they because they injected new blood into the fresh blood came on, didn't it? And they injected <laughs> it into all of the soaps. So and that they you know EastEnders kind of started off, didn't it, with younger families in there and younger people in it. And but even it then, it's still depressing. Well, it still had them doing stupid crap. Do you remember? You know, the, do you remember the band in EastEnders, Sharon and 
Curly Watts's band. Oh, oh God. Vaguely, they even released yeah. a single. I think we even looked at the single, uh, you know, during our travels through time and space. But no, when you look back at the, what, what Coronation Street was doing and you, you think, why did the, why did everyone like the Australian soaps? You've got Callie Minogue and all the amazing you know, people looking in there and then you've got Ilder Ogden going, la-di-da-di-da, oh, I've dropped <laughs> me grapes. I think, yeah, I know exactly why they like that. It's obvious. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and I think Brookside was probably edged a bit more towards that because it had, it had younger characters yeah, it than did. what you normally Again, saw in Corrie and EastEnders. Lee went on to do Hollyoaks as well, didn't he? I think the same chap from Brookside. Is it Phil Redmond? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think he did. Well, so, and, yeah, and I think... And that's the other. They got the characters <laughs> younger and younger now. So. <laughs> Hollyoaks borrowed a lot from those Australian soaps. It did. Very much so. Very, there you go. Absolutely it did, yeah. Yeah. 10th of August, debut of Crime Watch File, a BBC One documentary series in which detectives tell the inside stories of some of the UK's major criminal investigations during which police appealed to viewers of Crime Watch for help. Isn't it bizarre that they made a documentary series about a programme about reconstructions of crimes? <laughs> I mean, it's... only in Britain would they do that. You know, not, not content with recreating them. They made a documentary about the fact they recreated them. Yep. Yeah. So we made this, but no one's helped. Can you help? Well, no. <laughs> How <laughs> is it no different the first one? to make a documentary about the very thing that you've already made? A, I don't get, it's a really I weird idea, know. isn't it? It's really it weird. Tells, well, it tells the inside stories of some of the, so it's them, I don't know. But what did they tell it in the ordinary Crime Watch? If this, if this is the inside stories, what were they then? They're the well, made up versions? Crime Watch was about the crime, wasn't it? So they did reconstructions of the crime. So in Crime yeah. Watch file, they did reconstructions of them investigating that crime. I mean, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <laughs> random, random program. <laughs> Do you know, I d when I read it in, the, in our little show notes, I thought it was just about Crime Watch, and I thought, I thought Crime Watch was on it, but no, this is this is a whole separate Crime Watch spin-off, and I think this is spin-offs of Crime Watch. It's that meme, isn't it? It's what's-his-face's meme, you know, we heard you like crimes in your Crime Watch, so we put a Crime Watch documentary in your Crime Watch documentary. <laughs> it's that meme. It's literally yeah. that, but tw 20 yeah. years too early. Who was the um, host of that Crime Watch then? What's crime name? Watch, was, was it Nick Ross on it? Nick Ross, yeah, don't have nightmares, Nick Ross, won't it? Yeah, yeah, don't have nightmares. This doesn't always happen to it. Doesn't happen yeah. to everyone, but it could happen to you. It, yeah, it could happen to you. Don't have nightmares. And next week we've got a documentary about the exact thing we've just shown you. <laughs> yeah. Just to remind you about it again. <laughs> just random thing to yeah. do. A documentary about the the reconstructions. Not if it's actually about the reconstructions. Well, we found this actor who could play the part, so we got him to do it. Yeah. Anything about the crime? No, we solved that. Oh, <laughs> no. right. well, now we're going to tell you how we solved it in an extra bit of pointless yeah. footage. I remember watching some of those reconstructions and thinking, that's awful, which yeah. is, I suppose, the purpose of that show. It was. Don't Couldn't help them, though. Didn't know anything about it. No, there were <laughs> no, because none of the crimes happened where I lived, or the ones that were included. No. So I was useless to them. No, they, they didn't tend to go for those kind of crimes, did they? They were all quite high-profile yeah. crimes. It was know. usually Manchester or London, seemed to remember the crimes happening. 19th of August, following concerns about the quality of TVAM's programming, an emergency meeting of the IBA considers whether to review the station's franchise in early 1989. Now, we've been covering TVAM's escapades this year for about most of the year. We have. This is not an emergency meeting. <laughs> this is, you know, should we have a meeting about this? Like it's an emergency, like call Cobra, <laughs> someone, get Cobra someone, together someone immediately. press the button, dun -dun -dun, press the IBA button. <laughs> Can you imagine <laughs> running in, dun -dun -dun -dun. what's happened, what's the problem? <laughs> we need to talk about TVAM. We need to talk about TVM's franchise. No, don't do it now. It's too, it's too high profile. Leave it till yeah. the next IBA profile meeting. <laughs> yeah, because however, <laughs> it's ultimately decided not to proceed with the review 
Oh. Since the yeah. next franchise round is approaching, the IBA feels the success of both organizations is mutually exclusive. None exactly. of this makes any sense to me. I don't know what this was about. But they're the International Bastards Association, so what do you expect? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, just <laughs> just let them do it. Because as you – well, do you want to tell you what happens? Do you want well, to yeah, tell so, the tale? So it's where it, this is where it ends up, and this is what blew my mind. So this is we, – we've been, you know, following on the shenanigans that have, about the whole TVAM <laughs> thing. Not what I started this podcast for, but it's been, been riveting. <laughs> it's unbelievable, really. Um, in 1980, changes in broadcasting law in the UK, obviously, meant that commercial television franchises were no longer allocated on merit or potential, which seems an odd way of allocating anything. Now, how do you test someone's merit? You get the, you know, they get a big long stick and like, your merit's about two and a half meters worth of merit. It's not enough. Um, but rather for a blind auction, which seems incredibly niche. Um, following these changes, the Independent <laughs> Bastards Authority... Um, was replaced by a light-touch regulator, the Independent Television Commission, or the ITC. Um, TVAM was required to reapply for their license in May 1991. The ITV franchise results were announced on the 16th of October that the bid for $14.3 million that TVAM had made was outbid by another consortium, uh, Sunrise Television, which was renamed GMTV when it launched, mm. um, which they offered 36.4. Now, this is the bit that cracked me up. Ironically, in the years following the launch of GMTV, they approached the ITC to retrospectively obtain a reduction in this fee, reducing it to a level below what TVAM had originally bid. <laughs> and as I have written, cheeky bastards. <laughs> How brilliant is that? If that in a glove slap, no, you're right. So we, we'll, we can afford to pay 14.3 million now. He's got this offer here for 36.4 million. I'm afraid, you know, your uh, potential is not profitable enough. You got no, you haven't got enough merit in that bag. Need more cash in that merit bag, mate, to get to win this. <laughs> Absolutely. And then when they come back later, any chance we get a discount? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we could charge you about 14.2 million. Would that do you? <laughs> yeah. The other thing about this is, what, where are we? August 1988. They say that the, you know, is the next franchise round is approaching. This, in May 1991. <laughs> that's three years later. That's how long that's, it takes. I suppose if an emergency meeting called takes eight months. Well, if uh, you've actually seen the collection of people that formed the IBA as it was and then the ITC. I have because, not. Because they, they actually all post all of this when it was all disbanded now. And they all got jobs on the set of the uh, Lord of the Rings movies, you know, the Ents. <laughs> That's them. Because they're the only people that can understand. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I think we got a bid. Should we have a bid? Hmm, better think about it. <laughs> Have you made a decision yet? No, we've just said hello. <laughs> <laughs> Some of those people were my friends. <laughs> People's jobs are on the line. <laughs> what are you doing? Don't be hasty, TVAM. It's <laughs> exactly how it acts. That's a reenactment, actually. So there you go. T yeah. Tolkien's second appearance in, uh, within just a few weeks. It is They're exactly, in the room yeah. once again. Exactly. Twenty <laughs> second <laughs> of August, HTV begins twenty four hour broadcasting. They're yes, all at a, it. They're all in, a at it. in a service they called Nightclub. Um, <laughs> uh, that was on yeah. HTV West and HTV Wales. Good to good to know that they can watch telly all night. Yes, absolutely. I couldn't find a list of the programs that were on. I'm guessing you could probably figure out what they were. You know, because if it's it's either going to be you know US syndicated shows of weirdness, or there'll be you know something like, like Job Finder. Yeah, Job Finder. <laughs> Bob's toaster, you know, a guy that just makes toast, you know, because they were pretty much, you know, pulling any idea into these things to make it, you know, we've got, we've got nothing that could cover the 2.30 a.m. to 3.30 slot. What are we going to put in there? We can't have Transworld Sport. It'll keep the entirety of Wales awake. 
and nobody will be at work the next day. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Productivity will go down. Absolutely. Oh, dear. 31st of August, ITV is a version of The Hound of the Baskervilles, starring Jeremy Brett as Sherlock Holmes and Edward Hardwick as Dr. Watson. Yeah. Now, I never really liked his version of um, Sherlock Holmes. I've I've always have been a big Basil Rathbone fan. I like the old, very old black and white Sherlock Holmes is, you know, because he kind of, that whole idea of that we have a Sherlock Holmes, that sort of curled pipe, because that isn't how um, it's described in the books particularly. Um, Mm. So that version of him that we sort of know with the sort of, I don't know what they call those kind of hats. That's, you know, the look of Sherlock Holmes. I don't know what they call them, but that look, that was Basil Rathbone in this. Yeah, he kind of invented that kind of look that we Mm. came to sort of know with Sherlock Holmes, you know, the big pipe and all that. Um, Mm. So, but I quite like that version of it. Um, I never really got struck on the Jerry Brett one, although he played it for ages. I think he he played it for like 20 or 30 years. It was, I don't think it went on for that long, but it was mostly, it was long quite in the 80s and 90s. It was quite a while, wasn't it? I I, did loads of them. There's movies of it with him in, TV movies. Okay. I always liked uh, Christopher Plummer in Murder by Decree as uh, Sherlock Holmes. Mm. I like that film. It's one about where he's investigating the uh, Jack the Ripper murders. Ah, um, uh, yes, I remember it now. Yeah, um, and also James Mason was Watson. He'd be a good. He'd be a good Watson, actually. <laughs> he would be your dear stalker <laughs> against the Ripper. <laughs> Put down your pipe, <laughs> Holmes. <laughs> Holmes. Apparently, according to the blurb about Jeremy Brett, by the way, it says he was obsessed with bringing more passion to the role of Holmes. He introduced Holmes's rather eccentric hand gestures and short, violent laughter. Um, he would hurl himself on the ground just to look for a footprint. He did that generally. That, he did that anyway. That was without being home. So that's <laughs> yeah, just how he, it was how terrible he going out for a drink with him. <laughs> he would leap over the furniture or jump onto the parapet of a bridge with no regard for his personal safety. That's a quote from somebody, but nobody. But it's classic, you know, classic Wikipedia information. Who said that? Don't know. Somebody said that about him, probably. Maybe. Uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, and at this point, I'll just as a nod. I'm not. I won't go too far into it. But if you're out there and you want to check it out, check out the Adventures of Sherlock Holmes's Smarter Brother because it's quite a funny, unusual film with Gene Wilder in it. Director. <laughs> Director. <laughs> Odd. <Odd-ed. laughs> if I'm not mistaken, that's the Egyptian to eat fat. Now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> Oh, there's very only good. one. Yeah, it was very good. There's only one new show all month, and that show is Steel Riders. Never uh, heard of it. Never heard no, of it. No, I hadn't. I did a bit of digging. It's apparently all the way from New Zealand. Wow. Um, and according to the blurb, BMX skateboards, spaces, or spaces parlors, I don't know what that means, and home computers. Steel Riders features all the hardware an 80s era kid could desire, plus a baddie on a motorcycle to boot. Scripted by Kiddle Master Ken Catter, and the series follows a brother and sister who are targeted after inadvertently ending up with the spoils of a jewel heist. Pursued by mysterious motorcyclist The Spook, they enlist the help of a hacker and a BMX rider to help their father, who has been blamed for the theft. Ex-motorcycle racer Phil Thorogood provided The Spook's stunts. It actually sounds like the sort of thing I'd have probably liked back then. Yeah, same yeah. here. When, when I read it, I was like, that sounds all right. I'd probably yeah, watch I mean, that. It's got quite a high production value. In fact, they condensed all, some of the episodes into one kind of TV movie version and released that on DVD in the UK, but with a different name. But I can't remember what the name of that was. Ah, well, if anybody from the other side of the world watched it, maybe they could let us know if it was any good. I really don't remember it at all. It does sound good. I quite like that. Mm. Um, In the world of film, what did we have? 12th of August, you could have gone and seen School Days. Spike Lee strangely remakes the support of the uh, Spectrum original. An odd (laughs) choice for Spike Lee. (laughs) But, you know, never, never one to rest on his laurels. No, not really. I've never watched this. Have you watched this? You ever seen this? No, I haven't, and I should because I do quite like Spike Lee's movies. Um, but I've just not got that far back into the back catalogue. 
Um, so I will en- attempt to do it. Apparently, it's about a not so popular young man wants to pledge to a popular fraternity at his historically black college. Um, and it's got Lawrence Fishburne in it, I believe. Oh, okay. Well, I might give that a watch at some point. I probably won't, mm. but maybe. You won't. <laughs> well, the time. Uh, 16th of August, we have The Presidio. <laughs> um, so Sean Connery and Mark Harmon, um, I believe, is in this, weren't they? Yes, correct. Yes. Yeah. Sean I Connery watched... is armed and dangerous in this film. <laughs> uh, I watched this recently. It's not that great. It's a, it's very sort of mm. formulaic, late 80s. There's a lot of these films about um, – well, a lot. There was quite a few of these films about um, – murders on military bases or something to do yeah. with the military things like general's daughter a few good men the yeah. Presidio. there's other there's others uh, i think courage under fire maybe there's there's quite there's a, a, there's a mili- quite a few of them actually yeah there's, yeah there's 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 another one off the top of my head but i can't remember the name of it but there's quite a few and all this kind of digging around and you know the military shuts up shop and all you know all that kind of thing and there was a lot of these but this was just another one of those bit of i think there's a bit of titillation through it i can't remember you know is what it is uh, is this true what you've written here that you had a rule that he was only allowed star movies he could say properly that's correct yeah so uh, then the question then is how did this one get passed because for him it would be presidio and the whole film is set in san francisco which so he would he's a double hitter for him he wouldn't be allowed to be in it and yet there he is there maybe, he is i'm just putting this out there maybe it's not the real sean connery what is it's an actual a- sean connery it's not a real sean connery it's an impersonator <laughs> anyway, uh, it's directed by Peter Hyams, by the way. He made Outline is, yes. and your favourite, Time Cop. <laughs> I've watched that film a hundred times. <laughs> Always too much salt. And he made Always 2010 as well, the year we made Contact. Is that any? Um, I can't even remember if that's any good. Um, no, no. It's, it it's, it's sort of all right, but it's it's the one that's got, my God, it's full of stars in it and all that. And instead is of it, Hal, you've got Sal. And, is it Roy um, Scheider? Yeah, Russia. No, he's very good in it. Actually, he's the best thing in it. He's very good in it. But it's very Cold War. They go up in a Russian spaceship to Jupiter to check out what's happened to the first spaceship from the Discovery from the first movie. Um, oh, yeah. And then, um, and then there's you know, meanwhile on Earth, the Russians and the Americans are sort of you know getting all cold, you know, Cold War-y nukes up, and they threaten each other. And then you know, Jupiter's made to explode, and it showers into a load of fresh planets in the sky, and it says, "Live, live together and in peace on these new worlds, man." Oh, I'm God. paraphrasing massively because it's far more. Not- <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> it's like Arthur C. Clarke walked in. There's <laughs> <laughs> some good special effects in it here and there. And some really odd scenes in it, um, but it's it's no it's no um, two thousand and one that's for sure. I might give it a view in at some point. It sounds quite interesting. Should. Might be interesting it's got watch. what's his name actually? Um, it's got John Lithgow in it. He's actually quite good in it as well. Oh, there's one scene where he's just breathing heavily for at least ten minutes. I'm not, not going to explain why. You need to go and watch it. I might watch that. Um, yeah. Uh, what did they ever make? They never made 2061, did they? No, they didn't because 2010, I think, was a bit of a box office bomberoo. Yeah, I still think you it's could not, probably just enough time well, now between 2010 and I think 2000 2001's really kind of do a remake. Um, because I think, I think now I think you know, it's as, a bit of a, I don't know that would be I think they could well they could blend that in 2010 into one big movie you know I think this time it could be a, like a Netflix series it would just be nice to see much richer visuals that you could really apply to that I mean they're amazing for the time not so mm. much in 2010 but certainly in 2001 they are but I'd, I'd like because when you look at it in now in 4k they look like models in a yeah. studio <laughs> but anyway mm. I'd like to see that I'd just like to see yeah, it could be alright uh, 19th of August you could have gone seen Beetlejuice Beetlejuice Beetlejuice. Ah, uh, he's going to appear now. Said it three times. <laughs> he very well might do. Yes, this is when it was released, 1988. I, I couldn't believe that. Yeah, it would be. Because um, he's got, what, she's only like, because um, 
Uh, what's her face? Winona Ryder. Winona Ryder. Yeah, she's only fifteen, isn't, it, isn't she? Is she? Well, I knew she was young. I just, I didn't, I just, I didn't. She is. So she's the same age as my daughter. What Winona Ryder? <laughs> yeah, not now, obviously, but in that film. <laughs> I was going to say because yeah. she's the same age as me. That's how I know. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, but in that film, in the contextually, she's the same age as as my daughter is fifteen. Yeah, there you go. Mad. She, yeah, she was only fifteen because obviously it came out nineteen eighty eight. Would have come out in the states in nineteen early early eighty eight or eighty yeah, seven, yeah. knowing how, you know how these films work. But uh, yeah. Um, she's she's quite young at it. So, um, but it's uh, is it her first? No, it wasn't her first film. But uh, this is. It. I mean, I wanted to sort of. I mean, it's all right. Beetlejuice is okay, sort of thing. But I was going to ask Good. your opinion, sort of thing. What about um? What do you think of Tim Burton? Which era of Tim Burton? And, and well, we're just about? you know, it's whatever, whatever. I don't know. I think it's. Is this his first one of his we've come across? I don't think. Do we have Pee Wee's Big Adventure? Maybe. Well, which because did this? This is pre Batman, isn't it? Beetlejuice. It is. Yes, this is pre Batman. Yeah. Yeah. So what do I think of Tim Burton movies? Um, yeah. I am very much a bit hit and miss with them. I think them some of the methodologies and the, his method of storytelling, I think he's, it's wonderfully carnival. And I really like that about them. I like that about Beetlejuice. I like the distorted angles of things. I like the weirdness of it all. I like the kind of macabre humour that runs through them all. I like that. I like the look, the gothic look that he gives to things and he lends it that way. And his version of hell in this and in this particular film and everything, it's, it's genuinely a quite funny film, but it has that really weird dark humour that, that comes with the Tim Burton movie. And I quite like him for that. Mm. Um, so I've, I've never knowingly had a problem with any of the Tim Burton movies that I'd ever seen. I've always found them pretty good. There was one recently, wasn't there? But apart from that one... Can I say Planet did, of the Apes to you? Yeah, I was going to say, there was there was... One that was Planet of the Apes wasn't really good, and also the Willy Wonka that he did wasn't very good, as I recall. No, Mars Attacks ain't um, that great either. No, I say I quite like Mars Attacks, but um, that's because I quite liked um, Jack Nicholson in that. But these early ones, I mean, you know, he, he just looks completely different to everything else, and I think that's refreshing. Mm. Um, so I quite like that he brought a visual art to the screen which was lacking in films, you know. So I quite like that about it, um, and I like that about his style. But he just seemed to have gone off the rails a little bit doesn't he more recently i think yeah i mean he's just done that uh wednesday hasn't he on netflix yeah well i haven't watched that um but you said it's you okay. didn't like it it's it's okay it gets better as it goes on it's not brilliant but it's okay it does get better as it goes on and it's very tim burton in places you can spot it a mile off um but um i i was a big fan of his early stuff so batman films batman and batman returns you like edward edward scissorhands. Scissorhands. yes yeah, stunning film I, I love edward scissorhands i think it's incredible it's one of the best fairy tales put on screen um in my opinion the way the it's. I think Edward Scissorhands is the best marriage between him, his visuals, and Danny Elfman's music, um, and the way it all comes together. Yeah, in that. yeah, I'd agree. Um, with because that. Danny I mean, Elfman's he, um, music is is always a very integral part of those of his films. Absolutely, it, Beetlejuice wouldn't be the same without the you know the neither would, Danny neither Elfman would Batman music. without that Batman no, theme. Absolutely, um, no. Um, but did he do Did he do the second Batman movie? Yeah, he did Batman and Batman Returns, and then because Batman Joel... Returns is is not very good. No, Returns is good. That's the Catwoman one. Yeah, it's not very good. I like that one. That's the sort of that's the snowy one, isn't it? It's the one set yeah, Christmas. Yeah, it's just not non, no. That particular one isn't. It's because it's got the penguin on it. It's just not very uh, good. It goes off the rails after that when what's his face? Oh, yeah, takes absolutely. Over yeah, with no, Batman no, and Robin no, and Batman. No forever. argument there. Got that mentioned. Bloody the Riddler yeah. and Poison Ivy and oh my god. Uh, but yeah, but Sleepy uh, Hollow is good as well. Yeah, um, yes, I like Sleepy Hollow. Good. Big fish. And his animations are good. Well, that's. I mean, he was originally an animator, wasn't he? Yeah. W- worked he at Disney. Nightmare Before Christmas was that? One uh, of his? Has he produced that? I don't know if he. I think he had something to do with that. I think he produced it. And the, um, and the Corpse Bride is that one of his? I think as well. Yes, Corpse Bride. Yep. Yeah. And so, the so weird Sweeney Todd. 
again weird it's a musical isn't it didn't think much yeah. of dark shadows yeah, but then um, you know beetlejuice has been turned into a musical massively successful one at that is it and yeah and it was a cartoon as well yeah i could see it being a cartoon i could see that working yeah, quite yeah, well yeah, as a lot like, like in the style beetlejuice of beetlejuice the musical right now it's out there you can go i imagine see beetlejuice the cartoon is similar to sort of the real ghostbusters i'm thinking uh it's made a lot more of the character of beetlejuice than is in because he's not even though it's his name in the film the film isn't really about him per se is it he's only on screen for 25 minutes that's what i mean but of course and that is an amazing performance from uh, michael Michael keaton Keaton, isn't it yeah that's what got him the uh, role of batman he's he's excellent in beetlejuice though he's brilliant did you did you read that thing that you linked to did you see he was the first original choice for beetlejuice i can't remember it now sammy davis jr that's unusual (laughs) because <laughs> he wanted to be like this laid-back lounge singer-type character. Uh, that's when the first right was, because the first versions of the yeah. film were quite odd, weren't they? Yeah, dark and violent and mm. what have you. But um, mm. it was, yeah, but yeah, Burton's first choice was Sammy Davis Jr. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you're right. That? He is ex-Disney, and the films that he was involved with at Disney are the, you know, The Fox and the Hound, The Black Cauldron. Um, so yeah. you can sort of, sort of see the strands of Tim Burton sort of in those particular films, kind of yeah, just the darkness in there. It wouldn't surprise me as well, yeah. Um, the original title as well was going to be, uh, they didn't like Beetlejuice, they are going to call it House Ghost. So Burton jokingly suggested they should call it Scared Sheetless. And the studio <laughs> took him seriously and it almost became the title, supposedly. Oh this my article God. Here. What was the, um, what's the name of the guy that's in that film, the main guy? And not Michael Keaton, obviously. I mean, um, the husband... It's Adam Baldwin. He's one, it's, I was going to say he's one of the Baldwins, Alec, isn't he? It's but, Alec Baldwin. It's Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin. Is it, no, it's the other Baldwin. Is it Stephen Baldwin? No, it's Adam or Alec. Mike, it's Mike Baldwin. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. It's it's, it's, I'm, I'm looking right now. It's Alec Baldwin. It's one of the, I knew it was one of the Baldwins. It's but he's Baldwin not one of the and Gina Davis. Yeah, he's not one of the more famous Baldwins, is he? Is it or is he? Yeah, he's the famous one. <laughs> oh, is he? Is he the famous one? Is I can't because yeah. he looks so different in it because they, they don't look like they do now, does he? He doesn't look anything like. Yeah, him now. well, he's the one who's um, you know he's w- in trouble. W- I don't. Yeah. yeah, he's in trouble at the moment because of that shooting on set and stuff. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. but yeah. Um, but yes, yes, Alec Baldwin is he's the one in um, Thirty Rock. Thirty Rock. That's right. I mean, um, I've always found Tim Burton films to be very watchable, even the ones that aren't great. Apart from that, you know, that Category One era of the. Um, Planet of the Apes movie, which was just wrong, awful, awful. wrong, and then and then of course the actual really good versions came on and just sort of went, yeah, <laughs> squashed I'd it really, flat. And you're like, right. I really dislike walking out of a cinema angry <laughs> because yeah, an ending well, has angered me so much. Just I was like, <laughs> monkey, m- monkey masks no. on those things were shockingly bad, weren't they? Eleanor Bonham Carter's a, quite a striking woman, but not as a monkey. Turns out, not as a monkey. <laughs> no, it was all wrong, very wrong. Yeah, that film, very wrong, very wrong. Anyway, yeah, that was Beetlejuice. Uh, we've got another big one at the end of the month, though. 26th of have. August, Rambo 3 appears. Three years after Rambo 2, I guess, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, Rambo Part 2. Yeah. First yeah. Blood Part 2. This yeah. is your... Uh, go on. You, you, you like, you're the Rambo. Well, uh, Rambo 3 is, is... It's an odd film, Rambo 3. It was, it's the, the film where they've di- they try and disenfranchise it from the first Blood movies once and for all. Because obviously it yeah. starts at First Blood, then it's Rambo First Blood Part 2, and then it's just Rambo 3. Never mind the First Blood, whatever, it doesn't matter now. <laughs> it's not a Rambo film. It's not It's not called Rambo. There's a really good um, article, which I'll link in the show notes, about how they've reassessed Rambo and, and the whole idea of how it froze, because they, they ran out of enemies, Cold War enemies, really. So what do you do with that? And obviously they, they took the film to the, the Middle East, and it's got, you know, it's not dated so well from in terms of American cinema, really. No. In that respect. 
So, and of course, it was famously, it was, begin, it was begun for two weeks by Russell Mulcahy. Um, so he started pr- uh, the provisional photography and shot some of the opening sequence bits. And then he uh, left abruptly, abruptly, and it was replaced by, a, I think, a pretty no-name director as, to sort of finish it off. Kind of shows, because in that first opening sequence, um, you've got the stick fight. And then you've got, and it's, it's all, it's like the camera's flying around on wires. It's like it's a, looking at a Rambo version of the Wild Boys music video by Duran Duran. Right. And then it just stops that in its tracks. Um, and then obviously um, Troutman goes to see Rambo and he says, you know, people are dying, man. And Rambo goes, are they? Right, let's get over there and sort it out. And then that's kind of the story of it. It's not, it's a bit of an aff of the Rambo movie goes. It's not my favorite of the three, of the three at the time. Mm. It's not my favourite of those, um, but it is quite good. It had, uh, had a troubling body count, Rambo 3. Um, it has more deaths. I think at one point it was it was in the Guinness Book Records for having more deaths per minute than any other film ever made. Jesus. Because um, there's just so much blowing up. And then the, you know, the Rambo film that's set in the, is it Malaysia? The, the Just oh, the, the John Rambo one. The fourth one. The fourth one came along and made mincemeat of that record. <laughs> Is it, is it Burma? Is it Burma? Yeah, but it could be Burma. Wherever it is, there's a nondescript place where he gets to gun people down with a you know, 50 cal machine gun for 10 yeah. minutes. Mm. Uh, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. And so, you know, the body count went through the roof then. Um, but um, there's some silly moments in the Rambo 3. You know, um, particularly one that springs to mind is the classic Rambo, you know, has to solve an injury that he gets to himself. And the first film he made famously stitches himself up doing out with his little kit out of his pocket knife and you know, his mm. Rambo survival knife, which sold a million Rambo survival knives in the UK at least. <laughs> in this one, he doesn't he um, put gunpowder in a wound and sort of burn it, burn it, sort of cauterize his wound, shot wound by putting explosives in it and it doesn't literally blow him to pieces. So, I mean, he just goes, ah, and he goes, flares out and he's like, ah, that's me sorted right now. Go, go on and go on a killing spree. And never mind, you know, just, you know, Put, you know, it's Rambo. Doesn't matter, does it? I, not my favorite out of all of them. Really, it's all right. It's sort of uh, it's the mo- it's the it's the final end of the Rambo series of the eighties. So it's the end of eighties. There a long Rambo. sequence where they 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 ride around on horses, play for some sport. Yeah, there's that's again. It's there's a there's a sequence in the middle where they do that. Yeah, they're sort of playing. I think Polo or variant of that, and then it just ends up inevitably. I think he's in a tank at one point, blowing people up from a you know driving a tank single handed. He might even chew one and spit it out at some point. Mm. Um, each Rambo movie, all of them, including all the recent ones, there's a specific Rambo knife that's designed and made specially for the Rambo movies and that they then go and resell out there in the eco space of people that like that kind of thing. But each one has its own specific branded knife. And the Rambo 3 knife is, a, is spectacularly useless in terms of its actual um, use as a real-world survival knife. It, it wouldn't work. Mm. <laughs> so, Well, it was the most expensive film ever at the time. $63 million it cost. That's a lot of moolah. Um, Sylvester Stallone asked for a Gulfstream jet at $12 million cost as part of his pay for the film, and he got one. Makes sense. You know, pay me in jets. <laughs> I'll have a jet. I was like, okay. <laughs> so uh, it's good to see where that money went. Mm. What he's done <laughs> with ridiculous. that? ridiculous. Blown it around a bit. I don't know. Pretty good it in his I mean, and there's another, it was that thing, wasn't it? It was the, it was the Stallone Schwarzenegger thingy, because I think just, what is it, a year or two after this, we have Total Recall appear, which was then the biggest movie, most expensive, 70 mm. million won it, I think, at the time. Yep. Um, it was just this kind of one upmanship of action movie. Oh, well, yeah, because then not long spending. after that, you'll have had um, Demolition Man. Oh, God, yeah. And, <laughs> so, John Spartan, you have been found two credits for profanity. <laughs> yes. And then Assassins, yeah. number Assassins. Antonio oh, Banderas, God, yeah. where he's so, wide, where he's wider than he is tall. Sylvester Stallone in that. 
the oh, the sex scene in the shower in that film just made me. I was I felt uncomfortable for days afterwards. It's, it's not good. And then in there, are, there are a Rocky movie somewhere in the future of all of that at some point as well. And uh, have we had Rocky, Rocky Five? Oh, Rocky. Rocky Five. Yeah, Rocky Five. Sorry, yeah, Rocky Five. The the one with with Tommy. What's his face? Yeah, not good. Yeah, not good. There we go. That's your TV. Um, and video tv and film sorry for the month so you could have uh what could we done you could have watched brookside on a wednesday now um you could have not had nightmares with crime watch file about documentary about a documentary <laughs> about the making of or whatever that was um tvam was still struggling along htv began 24-hour broadcasting hound of the basketballs steel riders spike league school days the presidio in san francisco um beetlejuice <laughs> and finally rambo 3 we're gonna go take a quick break after all that nonsense it wasn't a great month we were still out playing um yep. and we'll be back we've got five more games to go through yet so uh keep listening we'll be back in a bit the novel escape from the commodore 64 by david hearn is out now Crash landing on a green planet full of vector graphics, can Sarah find a way to escape for real? Or is she stranded on a planet full of sun, sea, and chippy tea forever? Imagine finding yourself in a cinematic karate game, having to rescue a princess, or remain stuck under the run-stop key forever. What about finding yourself on a space freighter full of robots? Could you clear the decks? If you were transported back to a Wild West town, having to round up outlaws, could you survive until sunset? What if you were a wizard with a cat who must colour worlds? Could you beat the game, or would a virtual guitar solo announce your demise? Sarah might just be another visitor, but she doesn't want to stay a while, never mind forever. Available from Amazon and all good online retailers, discover if there's a way out in Escape from the Commodore 64. Visit davidhernwriter.com to find out more. And we're back. We've got five games to get through, as we said. Let's hope some of them are good. Um, let's get into our first one straight away. This is Oops, Oops, Up, Sad Your Head. You go to Oops, Up, Sad Your Head. This is I just knew you were going to sing that. Oh, well, you know, got to get a bit of vocals in, Anna. Oops, this is £9.95. This seems to be the only one, the one and only game released by the Big Apple Entertainment Company, at least that I could find anyway. Weirdly enough, in the review in Zap, they go, this is the first game. We hope it bodes well for more. <laughs> it didn't um but anyway maybe it didn't sell well i don't know um i have to admit i've never heard of this one never heard this game until now um so i don't know i wasn't expect i didn't know what to expect i didn't know what, what kind of game this was um or, or what so yeah all new to me oops is a single screen puzzle game with 32 levels to work your way through this was conceived coded and drawn oh, graphics i guess by jason kendall Jason Jace Kendall, to be precise, with music by Wally Bebben, our second Wally Bebben piece um, of the episode. Um, so, yeah, this game's title screen looks very demo-ish, uh, if you ask me. It's got huge fonts, big fonts, raster bars filling them, scrolling in and out, credits, high scores, all manner of stuff. There's a lot of uh, emphasis on the front end of this. It all looks very nice. Um, yeah, it looks cool. So it's quite quite good presentation at the beginning of the story, such as it is. Has you controlling a quadroid around space-time fields collecting gravopods within the set time limit. Were you aware of that, Graham? Did you know that that was the story? I bet you didn't. I did not um, know that, no. Mind, whatever. 
<laughs> there are no options to speak of, so the only thing to do is press fire and get into the game. The game itself is played over various 9 by 7 uh, grids, so 9 wide by 7 tall grids. Uh, these grids have space in them, so they're kind of designed, so it's not you know a fully laid out grid. They've got space in them, so they're designed so you can you move about them. Um, these grids have space in them, but somewhere within them, there is a flashing gravopod. You'll see it on one of the grid spaces. Um, so this is quite chunky. You know, it's not small, the grid, so it's, it's not tiny. It fills up the entire screen, so mostly this is good. The game is, so put it simply, this it's your job to move to it and move over it. That's it. you just got to get to the Gravopod. When you do, another one will appear, and so on, until you've collected all eight. So there's eight Gravopods to collect on each level. Uh, if you collect all eight, you'll get a bonus for the time left and then move on to the next level to do it all again with a differently configured grid. And that's the game. So much for pretty much. Of course, though, that would be too easy if that's all there was. So the game has various tricks up its sleeve to rob you of your three lives. The easiest way to lose a life is to move off the grid. I did that more than I'd like to say because I tap in too often because you move at, like a space at a time, a grid space at a time. Um, it's You know, you've got to be careful not to overshoot. I did more than I'd like to say. Um, on the top um, and down the left of the grid, there are rim lords. <laughs> uh, these rim lords, <laughs> they're patrol. They just go in one, there's one going up the left-hand side of the screen and one along the top. Uh, these move constantly up and down or left and right depending on which way they are. Uh, if they line up with you, if you're moving along a, a, a grid spaces, so if you're going to the right across load and the one on the left lines up with you, they'll fire across um, or down the screen, depending on which way you're going. And if they hit you, they go quite fast. You've got to get out of the way um, quickly because um, collision with them is fatal and you'll lose another life. Similarly, there's an orange ball that just floats around the grid, moving at a diagonal, bouncing off the edges of the screen and just floating around. It, and it, it doesn't move fast. Get you more than it should, though. That's what I found. It's annoying, but you know, it's, it's not too annoying. It's just a bit annoying. You can you can figure it out. On the grid itself, there are question marks. Some of these are good um, and will give you bonuses like extra time, extra lives, and bonus points. But some are nefarious and will push you in a direction, often to your doom, so should be avoided. There are also teleporters, which warp you to a specific point on the grid. Okay, so it's not to the other teleporter, just to another point on the grid. Always the same. So to it. As long as you know where it is, you can use it. So you have to clever use of these is needed to navigate the world, especially um, when you need to get about the grid quite quickly um, to get to the next uh, Gravopod. Some blocks on the grid also crack when you go over them, um, when you go over them once, and they cannot be used again. So if you move onto them again, they'll crumble beneath you and you will plunge to your death. So you can only use them once. These sort of block off parts of the grid and make you have to go around the long way, for instance. None of this, the good thing about this, I thought, none of this is random. So part of the challenge is learning the grids and planning your course accordingly. Where the gravopods appear is all fixed. Everything is fixed. So you can learn these. There's 32 of them, so it's going to take some time, but you can learn the right way, the quick way to do these. And I think that's quite a good thing. It's a puzzle game. So you want to learn to figure out, right, go there, go there, do this, do that, move that way, do that, wait for that, do that, done. Okay. Um, and I like that. I thought it was good. Alongside the main grid is the UI showing your score, uh, the grid you're on, the timer, and the number of lives. And that's about it, really. You know, the visuals themselves are functional. Um, they're a little simplistic, but they're functional. They're good. They work. They fit the game. They're simple sprites. They're not going to, you know, they're simple sort of, they're just sprites. It's hard to sort of give them sort of direction. You know, you, you control what you do. The gravipod looks like a, a thing and you pick it up and whatever. They're chunky and they're big, so but they're all right. They're not bad. And there's some decent fonts throughout as well. The uh, UI on the right has got some really nice fonts on it and it, all, it looks the part. It looks nice. The music on the title screen is good. The sound effects, they're also perfectly adequate. Everything works. Everything is okay. As single screen puzzlers go, 
I thought that this was a quite a, quite a decent one. It all moves fast. There are just enough things to pay attention to at all times to feel challenging but not overwhelming. It's tricky to keep your eyes on the, um, you know, on everything. But you know, you'll be keeping your eye on the Rim Lord <laughs> um, on the left, only to have the one on the top get you. And and you're like, oh, I should you know, you kind of got to watch stuff. And then there's an orange ball just floating around, and then trying to work out sometimes because you've got some of the squares actually disappear and then pop back in, so they'll you know they sort of you've got to work out when you can move on to them. When they sort of reappear, it's get on them quick and then jump off. So you're kind of waiting for that. And as you're waiting for that, one of the rim lords will go past you or the balloon will come, or the ball will come past you. It's tricky. Um, you know, and it can, you can lose lives quickly if you're not careful because it's, it's a game. You can do it fast, but it punishes, um, that it punishes you. If you rush, if you try and do things too fast, it punishes you. So you've got to take your time. You've got to be a bit, you know, methodical about it. I think that's what this game asks of you. The conceit itself is simple uh, to get into, and and I found myself pr- uh, quite addicted to this for quite a while. I was progressing, progressing along, trying to get through it. You know, bemoaning myself when I rushed, as I said, when I lost lives, and that's what uh, I think annoyed me. Not annoyed me about the game, but uh, like ah, frustrated me. Um, how long that addiction holds is open to question. Um, you know, it can feel a little demoralizing though at times as the tricks it plays with the question marks can feel a little harsh. Sometimes they'll just push you off and there's nothing you can do about it. And it does come to a point where you are, because some of the, you know, like I said, they give you extra lives and you'll need those extra lives. So learning what it is, learning what they are. So sometimes it's like when you get to a new level, you're almost just going to go, right, I'm going to have a run here where I just see what all the question marks do just to figure out which ones to avoid in future. And so sometimes it's a case of, you know, like trial runs, but there's no way of getting quick there back. There's no shortcuts. There's no, um, uh, there's no password system or anything like that. So it can feel a little bit harsh. You've got to kind of work your way all the way back there again. But, you know, that's what the, the thing of this game is. There's 32 levels to work through, and you've got to kind of try and remember where to go in each one as you as you progress, um, you know, if you want to persist in this game. There's a decent original challenge here to it. Is it full price, though? Is there enough here to warrant it when we've seen some really good, exceptional budget puzzlers in our time? I'm not sure. I don't know if the central conceit is worth a tenner. I don't know. I'm not sure. You know, maybe, maybe not. I suppose it depends how much you get into it. Um, there is, a, you know, 32 levels is a lot. It's going to keep you going for quite a while. But I don't know how much things change up because I didn't get dead far into it. So I'm not sure how how much it changes up as you get further and further into it. Maybe it changes up loads and there's loads of different things on the thing. I don't know. So maybe there is a lot of depth there. Maybe it's just the same thing over and over. If it's the same thing, then as a budget title, I think this would have been great. If there's loads of variety, then, okay, maybe it justifies it. I'm not sure um all that said i did enjoy this i think this is a good puzzle game maybe i enjoyed this because of the dross that i've been having to play um recently for this episode and some other episodes so this felt like a bright you know shining star in a you know a, a sea of crap um maybe there was a you know there was an element of that um in my enjoyment of this but whatever it was i did enjoy it i do think this is a fun game it runs smoothly it looks nice it plays well it all works and there's no bugs. There's nothing that I could find. And like I said, if you work at this methodically, you've still got to be quite quick and fast and react. You know, you've got to get reactions there, but you can learn this. And I liked it. So yeah, this was this was a positive for me. A positive, finally, a positive in this episode. So yeah, what about you? Principally, the same kind of notion. Really, thought it was a bit pricey for what it offers um, at ten pounds for a puzzle game. Because like you said, we've seen budget ones, but it it is what it is. I thought the graphics and the use of colour were really nice. A bit hard on the eyes after a while, though. Yeah, um, the moving I mean, backgrounds you know, can be a bit... Well, that and the power of Rastabars compels the opening <laughs> title screen, doesn't it? My goodness <laughs> me, he blasted my eyes out of the sockets. 
Um, and that the layout, because of that, the layout and all the sort of flashing and strobing and stuff, it's actually quite hard to take in and read initially because hmm. there's a lot of just visual eye stuff going on and it's a bit much to cope with. Um, it is quite tough to play and definitely challenging, as you say, but on the plus side, it sort of makes you want to try again. So you've got, it's got nice repeat, repeatability in this. You'll want to go back and try again different routes in different ways and you know, when things drop out from under you and you've gone a different, you've gone the wrong way, you think, right, well, okay, I'm going to try it again. It, the restart factor is quite high because it isn't that long to restart. You, you can no, get quite quick. back into it quite fast. So yeah, yeah. that's all to its credit. Um, I thought the sounds were a bit annoying. You know, they started to get annoying after a while, a bit hype, it's, you know, and a bit squeaky and a bit, but it is what it is. Um, so I, I enjoyed what I played of it. I quite like the colour schemes as well in this. Um, I mean, we've said before, that oh, they're an odd choice, that kind of cyan and blue and purple in some of the levels and things like that. But, Mm. At the same time, it does create enough separation for your brain, and I quite like the sort of the way they did the scoring down the side as well. It's it's a nice on screen presentation, and there's a lot, quite a lot going on on it actually under the hood. Mm. So it's quite it's quite a nice, good looking puzzle game, and it is good. And I said the sort of music in it because it's Wally Bebben in it, the music. Yeah, um, again, that's so all, all all of that is good. The production of this game, no argument. My only question is. Is it just, if it had been a budget game, I think it would have probably done better, I think. Yeah, um, but I think so. But you know what? They released it for full price. I don't, I still can't help but feel that 74% is a little bit on the low side for this. Um, we've seen puzzle games. There was the one from Gremlin, which was the one with the laser beam. I think that scored higher than this. That's a single screen puzzle game. With oh yeah, Destructor. Yeah. Yeah, with a the, with the central premise and logic. So I don't quite understand why this has got what it's got, but it is, as I said what it is i i liked it it's certainly better than some of the other dumpsters we've had to you know go through so refreshing to play one that just felt like a nice complete experience and something that made me want to try again a lot of these games are making me want to not try again so that's, good. <laughs> yeah, that's a good start yeah exactly exactly oh, i liked it good good little game that yeah it was surprised yeah. me actually that's complete i never really heard of it um, i've seen no. it loads of times never actually played it i think and finally got to go play for it and i quite enjoyed it so mm, yeah it's one i'd recommend yeah do it here we go. Oops. Nice start. Nice start to this part. Let's hope it continues. Let's mm. hope it continues. Graham, what's it like to be an aquanaut? Ay, okay. Um, this is from... Hello, this is voiceover Graham. I would just like to interject at this moment to inform you that the game that I describe here, Aquanaut, is actually the 1984 version and not the 1988 version. Apologies, got the wrong thing. Sorry. Um, interceptor software um, oddly oddly on the front of the tape box it says suitable for the Commodore 64 <laughs> <laughs> that's strange suitable um, I know it's suitable for the Commodore 64 don't you know um, apparently it's written by Ian Gray this um, produced by uh, Richard Paul Jones music's by Chris Co- Chris Cox um, and it was done in machine code according to the instructions uh, according to the tape it says on it machine code so you know oh, so you can be yeah. sure Okay. Um, The game. Yeah, okay. Uh, The game. Um, Deep beneath the surface of the oceans, order is maintained by the dedicated submarine pilots of the Aquanaut Patrol. In their sleek, deadly craft armed with torpedoes and depth charges, they were invincible until they met the challenge of the caves of Shalik. Here were gathered the forces of a malevolent power bent on conquest of the seas. Heat-seeking missiles, sea tanks, hovering mine layers, and worst of all, the lethal hunting mines, these could not be destroyed except by causing them to collide with solid rock. However, their range was limited, and they could be outrun by skilled pilots. These weapons had destroyed all but one of the Aquanauts, 
Could he penetrate to the deepest cavern and survive to return to his base? Don't know. <laughs> Could he? Would he want to? I don't know. Would anyone want to? Probably not. No, I don't think he would. No. Um, so let's talk about Aquanaut then. Um, <laughs> uh, it's this is a side-scrolling shit him up. Um, <laughs> so it's an it's an underwater shoot him up really, and I want to say underwater. Uh, I would argue this is more like war in a fish tank really. Because the insides, the environment you're in looks more like the sort of thing you'd get in a fish tank as opposed to under the sea. Mm -hmm. So you scroll left to right, you're controlling your submarine. Doesn't look much like a submarine, but a submarine is what it is. In the Sequest DSV type notion of a submarine, maybe. Um, And as you progress through the ocean, um, and you're not that far under the ocean because there's parts where there's fishing rods dangling and white ropes dangling down with little worms on to try and catch fish on what must be the world's largest boats because the scaling of this game is well out of whack. (laughs) So um, you control your submarine. You shoot um, your torpedoes. This isn't that isn't how torpedoes work. No, um, because to- no, torpedoes aren't an underwater weapon. Torpedoes are a underwater to surface weapon. That's how they work. <laughs> yep. Anyway, so it's just to shoot them up, set underwater this, with different kind of sprites. Imagine uh, a really rubbish shoot them up where you're harassed by clamshells and bubbles and things like that and you wouldn't be far off what you've got here. Um, it's a bit of an odd thing, this, I found. Um, I mean, it's a fish-based shoot-em-up. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the mainstay of the game is that is exactly as I've described. You sort of go through, um, sometimes it's caves, sometimes you're underwater, sometimes you're under the surface of the water. Either way, you're underwater. And you go to the left, and enemies will come on, and you have to shoot them. Simple as that. They all die with really annoying squeaks. Whenever you shoot the enemies, they just—it's like the squeakiest sound effects in a game. It's like, why? Why do that? You've got a distance meter at the bottom, so the main—I'd say perhaps two thirds, maybe of the screen—is the game at the top. Underneath, of course, is your UI of sorts, just text, where you've got a damage indication, your distance to the end of the level, how many torpedoes you've got which seemed to bear no relevance. And is it, but because I don't know if there was something wrong with mine, but the, I didn't seem to run out of torpedoes, but maybe you do, I don't know. There's the score and then obviously the high score on there. So it's, the actual game screen is simple. The backgrounds do vary quite a bit. So you'll go from there being sort of, um, sort of, uh, I guess you call them underwater ground. So it's the seabed. Um, and then you might get sort of going through sort of caves and then you'll be under the surface where the boats are. Then you'll be under with like, a, with these like Greek tavernas and there's, um, ancient ruins under the sea and then you've got shipwrecks and things like that but they're all drawn like you would get them in a fish tank and they're all completely scaled incorrectly so it doesn't make a lot of sense and there is no variation to the gameplay here it scrolls and you shoot and you avoid things and that goes on and on and on until you die or you get to the end which you probably won't because it's generally quite dull uh, I can see the idea of what they tried here, you know, well, let's make a submarine game. Um, but had they not played the excellent submarine game that's in Nebulous, because that's way better than this, and but better graphically and visually and same sort of idea. Sound effects, as I've said, really annoying. There's no variation to this. Scroll, float, shoot, repeat. It's dull. I think the submarine graphics are weird. The underwater things are really odd. There's such an odd collection of things in this. It's really strange, but some underwater things you'd expect when, and some things you perhaps wouldn't. There's one point where I was being attacked by a load of divers, which seems odd that they would attack a submarine with, with harpoon guns, but that's what they did. And then next I was being attacked by a swarm of jellyfish and then bubbles from... It's just, it's just a random series of things in this. 
So I don't know, war in a fish tank, this for me. And it dulled an endless shit is what I thought of it. Um, it was only 199, I suppose, but it got 43% in zap. I think that's, it's probably about right for what this is because it's just, it, it works and you can shoot things in the fish tank. Other than that, if you want, if you're looking for anything else, you're not finding it here. You'll find no happiness there. Um, <laughs> what did you make of it? No, it's crap. For all that's going on, this is a dreadfully boring horizontal shooter. There's so much flickering, so much flickering. In that open, those sprites in the opening bit, they're so flickery. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I, okay, the premise may be a little original, but uh, as, as you've said, and as I've noted, all they've done is take the interstitial part of Nebulous out and try and make a full game from it. Um, that's all they've done. But there's nothing to do aside from shoot stuff. There's no power-ups, no waves of enemies. Everything's random, nothing beyond that, and it's slow, boring. You fire too slowly. It all feels half-assed and ugly and painful to play, and so much flickering. Those sprites, none of them, none of them ever stop flickering. None of them. It's ridiculous. Shmups, or shit-em-ups, as you rightly said, need a lot more up than this and what is on offer here at this point, considering we had Poltergeist for the same amount of money last week. So think of, think along what that offered and how much is in that and how polished and good that was. You know, this is a bit of a damp squib. <laughs> That's what I thought anyway. Um, terrible. <laughs> damp squid. Damp squid, yeah. Uh, dreadful game. Aquanaut. Yeah, this is rubbish. This is cr- yeah, 43%. No, no, there's not enough. T- it's t- it's rubbish to play. It's all horrible. It's just, we've got better budget shooters. Way better. Yeah. The, the Earth's oceans are polluted. Sort yeah. it out. Yeah, that's, that's terrible, it. isn't it? It's rubbish. You've seen the other the cover for this one as well. Borderline imperceptible. I'll see if I can grab a copy. and mm, Looks like a shark with a freaking laser beam attached to its head. <laughs> it's rubbish, isn't it? Yeah, it ain't good. good. No, no, nothing good about Aquanaut. Let's move on. I'm sure it's got to go up. <laughs> it's got to go up. Crazy paving, Graham. <laughs> crazy paving. It's got 10%. 10%. Um, what do that we say good. about craving, crazy paving? Uh, okay, this is a maze game uh, that would make the BBC blush and turn it down, is what I've noted. There's a story here. And it is thus, Zygmunt has made a right mess of the garden and there's paving everywhere. How much of a mess do you have to make of a garden that the paving's screwed? What have you done? Uh, However, Zygmunt is a lazy so-and-so and has left the job of sorting all this paving craziness out to Howard the robot, which is where you come in, controlling Howard and sorting out the fine mess that Zygmunt has left behind him. That's it. That's what you got to do. You got to sort out this crazy paving. When the game loads, we are treated to a static title screen with a picture of a garden. And I'm going to say the words crazy paving, but they might not be. The Z looks like it's a sombrero on the hat of the A. <laughs> it's not a, good. It's, it's not, not good. good. It's not. There's nothing else to it. That is the title screen. And it's like, do I, is it? Is it loaded? Oh, it has. Okay. Uh, there's no instructions to anything. So pressing fire gets you into the game. The top half of the screen is the scrolling view of the garden, made up of horrible character graphics and rubbish sprites. In the center is your droid, and I, I can't. It's just a. It's a round thing that's got a sort of rotatey sort of animation thing on it. It's crap. It's not anything special. It's not very good. The background's all black. This garden looks unfriendly. It's all black. The character graphics are mostly yellow and brown, which is never, you know, it's never a good combo with blue for ponds and gates and the slabs which you have to fix. This is a mixture of blue, black, brown and yellow. I mean, nothing good can come of those colours. No. So there are enemies that fly about. Should they touch you, you lose one of your five lives and you have to endure a horrible, horrible death tune every single time. absolute nightmare (laughs) yeah at the bottom of the screen is the ui showing your score the high score number of lives a health bar i think 
I don't know. And there's a depiction of the next paving slab you have to fix, I think. I didn't quite understand what it was, though, because it wasn't the one I actually found, because the paving slabs are marked by like these sort of square of nine dots, but you've got to find... I, I have no idea. It's not clear. It makes no sense. You can move in the four directions. You can't move in diagonals. You can shoot as well in the four directions. So kind of like a bit like sort of gauntlet-esque sort of thing. There are keys to pick up t- to open gates, which allow you to get to stairs to access the other levels. Supposedly there are four other levels. Not that you'll notice any difference. Each level looks exactly the same in colour and design. There's no difference between them. You just randomly sort of appear in a different place. There are spiders which block roots, but they need to be getting gotten rid of with the, with the spray that you can pick up to allow access to further on. As you just hunt in vain for the relevant paving slab that you need to fix. Because you've got to do the paving slabs in, in an order, I think. You can't just go over any paving slab. So with, you know, if you just found them and just had to knock them, do them out, I think there's, there's lots of them. But no, you've got to find the right one. But there's nothing telling you. Suppose this picture tells you, but it doesn't. When I did actually find it, it was like, that was just nine dots. It didn't look like the picture at all. So I couldn't find a manual for this. I couldn't find any instructions. So I was kind of left to my own devices. I was trying to work it out as best as I could. The graphics are ugly on the whole, as I've said. The sound of your shot changes from life to life. Sometimes it's shrill and sometimes it's not. Like the muff, the the, fil- the filter just changes all over the shop. Um, the first time I played it, there was no sound till I, till I died, lost a life, and then when I fired, there was a sound. I was like, oh, this is really weird. It's very odd and pretty rubbish, like most of this game. Essentially, it's a boring maze game. You're hampered by gates and the fact that you can only hold one of something. So you you've got to pick up a key, go open the gate, go back, get another key, get to the next gate, pick up a spray, kill the spider, find a paving site. What? It's just boring. You're just wandering, backtracking boringly around this so-called garden, getting bored. Track back and open again. Bored. You're bored. You only need to find a dead end or some stairs, and it's so slow and leaden and painful that you just want to turn it all off and go away. The game logic makes no real sense. Making you find a certain slab, like I said, they're representing the world by a square of nine dots, and I couldn't figure out any way to know it was right. It's just simply an exercise in dragging out a shit concept into a full-on pile of crap. It's like kicking a pile of leaves and finding a massive pile of turds underneath it. That's what this is. As I said at the start, this would make the BBC blush. It's two quid, yep, but you could buy Thrust, Kickstart, BMX Simulator, Poltergeist, loads of good budget games. We've seen in the charts recently. You know, things like Ghostbusters, Way of the Exploding Fist, you know, all those Activision classics that all came out for cheap. You know, all those great budget games are the same price as this. God knows. This would have been bad in 1984. Now, I'm going to come back to that in a minute. I remember buying Pedro and knowing that I'd bought a bad thing in 1984 five and had and had i bought this back then i would have felt the same put it out in 1988 it's just robbing kids of their cash again awful game there's nothing crazy about it which is the biggest insult of all now this came from top 10 i think top 10 did those other ones the other week when we looked at them which they we did. were saying like what didn't someone's found a box of discs um or behind a filing cabinet with some games on that were clearly made in 1983 84 and have just decided to release them now the guy who made this i didn't know it down his name it's Ken somebody or other. And all his games came around that time. It was, uh, let me have a look. It's Ken Smith. For Ken Smith, Sweep, Cricket 64, 1984. I don't think this guy, I think this is an old game that's just been found. And I think it's just been re-released. And it's not a yeah. good thing. It's utterly crap, this. And 10% is, yeah, it's awful. It plays awful. It looks terrible. That sound when you die, that tune when you die. Ugh. I'm guessing you didn't like this. No. No, I did not. <laughs> that awful death restart tune, because it plays it twice, doesn't it? You get it when you die, and you get it when it respawns as well. Yeah. Just no, 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 no. Um, awful graphics, awful controls, no diagonals. Nightmare. Mm. No idea 
what this even is, really. Sometimes it just didn't respond to the controls that I was trying to get it to do anyway. What the hell has this got to do with paving, really? Um, I know it's sort of in a park and that, on a garden, yeah, rather, I and I get that. Um, really, a game where you stagger around a garden being attacked by bees um, and the stairs, and at that point I just wrote, fuck off. That was my <laughs> comment there. Burn this abomination. Um, and that was kind of my summary for this, really. I mean, an entry, you're entering the elite group. It's just got a new entry, hasn't it? It's in the 10% club. Yeah, another one. Um, and that is an elite group. You know, you're in, you're in, you're that, in great that, company that there. That group is burgeoning over the last few months. Well, exactly. I mean, there's a few nearly few near misses, but that's gone straight in, in there with its 10%. Just utterly crap. No, thank you. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll look elsewhere, thanks. I reckon there's probably a good full-price US gold game that would be much better than that. You reckon? I reckon there might be, yeah. Well, let's uh, let's fast forward on through time then um, and see if you're right. I don't know if you are, but Graham, <laughs> tell us what it's like to be shackled, not in a right. high seat chair. <laughs> this is US gold, I believe, and this is an arcade conversion. Mm. So this is a conversion of a arcade that was produced by Nihon Busan in Japan in 1986. Okay. So this is a conversion of an arcade called Shackled. I'd never heard of that arcade game. Nobody ever heard of that arcade game outside of Japan. Um, and that's the same company that made things like Road Blasters and stuff. So, they, you know, they made a lot of games. But that one, Shackled, which is essentially a gauntlet ripoff in their terms, that wasn't going to be the one that they, you know, that wasn't the hill they were going to die on, let's put it that way. That wasn't going to be their great hit. Um, as a reason why that arcade game got buried and buried deep. Um <laughs> So um, the scenario then of this for Shackled is your friends have been captured and chained up in cells. Your task, preferably with the help of your other player, is to rescue and release them from certain death in the complex of the underground dungeons. Sound weirdly familiar already? Mm-hmm. Yes, it does. When you release a friend from a cell, you can make use of their special weapon to help in your task of releasing more of your Shackled friends. Pick up the keys to open doors as shooting them has no effect. Mm. Mm. Search each floor for an exit to escape the other floors containing more of your friends still trapped deeper in the dungeons. Sound familiar? When your fighting power has run out, the game is over, but this can be prolonged should you wish to pick up various bonus items strategically placed around the dungeon floors. The evil guards can drop items when you destroy them, that may help you in your fight for survival. Your quest will be long and treacherous as you battle your way through over 100 levels of dungeons. Sound familiar? Only the quickest and most agile will survive. And there's some hints here, just in case you were wondering, Aid, about how to be good at this game. Uh, okay, I was actually. It says, uh, if it moves, shoot it and try not to stay and fight. Just hit and run. Because your enemies will drain vital energy when in contact. Collect all of the bonus items to gain extra points and prolong your fighting power. I don't think the, the use of the word prolong should be should be there. I don't know. Just, I don't know. <laughs> no. Destroy giant should. enemies where possible for extra points and for the keys they drop. Do not stay too long on one level as a blob will appear and drain your energy. Look closer for your friends trapped behind the doors and before you leave each level, select which powers you want to keep, but be careful or you will lose your energy, which will be drained. Try to avoid being surrounded <laughs> in close combat as you will lose lots of energy as they will drain you of your energy. <laughs> You collect more points what for bonus doors, so keep sure a <laughs> Could you just say that again? <laughs> Drain of energy. <laughs> Upon freeing your friends, you will be awarded an additional weapon. These weapons will be shown as icons on the display panel. Additional features are shown as secondary icons, which can be collected, which relate to the weapon that you hold. These icons are displayed under the weapon icon, which includes speed up, shot speed, extra defense, and extra attack. Be careful not to stand too long in any area, or it will drain your energy. <laughs> 
What will it do? And then just says under that, it's just one sentence that says, energy. <laughs> okay. Dental plan. <laughs> Dental, Dental plan. plan. <laughs> so this is a gauntlet, a bad, bad gauntlet clone. It's an attempt at a gauntlet clone, actually. This is a, an attempt to recreate badly a game that was hidden out of time and space because it was so derivative and rubbish. That's the game you choose to make a version of and then try and charge people full price for it. That, that game. Nobody had ever heard of this. Nobody was banging on the doors. This is Karnov's return. Nobody was banging on the doors of US Guard going, we're shackled, we want shackled. Nobody, that never happened, did it? Never. This is this game is literally a buggy, unfinished piece of shit. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. This is bad. This is really bad. From its horrible title screen, which I can't even explain how bad that writing of Shackled is. That was I don't know if it's meant to be like the arcade. I've never seen. I didn't see the arcade. No, I don't think it, it anyway, because it's been lost in time and space. It's just crap on Moby Games. No, it, it doesn't. I did look on uh, YouTube. It's not. I don't know what that sort of full screen mud scrolling thing was for. I don't know. <laughs> nobody no, knows nobody does the main game itself then is essentially a top top area it's a gauntlet clone so it, it plays in, a t- in an attempt to sort of work like gauntlet only it doesn't work like that at the bottom you've got your kind of score upgrade key information it's just a mess there's no rhyme or reason to that it's the, one of the worst UIs I've seen it's just a collect it looks like a collection of numbers it's really weird yeah it's not very good the colour schemes on the levels generally speaking I've got this kind of blue and grey thing going on at least in the, some of the screens generally the graphics in this game are not going to blow your mind because they are utterly utterly bad they're not good so so this is I I mean this is unfinished there's no way around that it's unfinished because it bugged out so much when I was playing it in really in in ways that means this game was released broken. And that's a that's a bad, bad thing to do, release a broken game. Mm-hmm. There's dreadful music in this, terrible, terrible sprites. I mean, I'm no artist, but even I can draw better sprites than that. And the backgrounds, it's got this kind of tiled effect, but they're not very good at all. They don't look anything like Gauntlet. wasn't amazing, but it's literally a Picasso compared to the <laughs> nonsense that they're, they're displaying here. But the problems aren't really... I mean, that would be bad enough, that the graphics are crap. The sprites are crap. The controls aren't very good. It slows down when you press fire to shoot. It actually slows down because that's mm-hmm. a bug because this, 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 this cycle counting's all wrong. There's bugs dripping from this game literally everywhere. Do you know, at one point, I just ran off the screen. I just ran off. So I was in the middle of nowhere, just ran off. Another point, I went to, went to the bottom of the screen and it just disappeared. Weirdly, that is a thing from the arcade game. So I was watching a playthrough on, on YouTube of the arcade game and that's what someone does in that and it's a secret passage to a sort of another area this was no secret passage i was in the middle of nowhere unable to move just frozen in the game in the game space um, so <laughs> the, I, had to just re, I had to restart the whole thing because i just couldn't move i just found myself locked into us into a sprite square so there's bugs all over the place though yes i get the idea there might be secret tunnels but the graphics aren't indicative of any of that you're not going to want to do that or find them it's, it doesn't work that way the enemies are completely random i mean literally random there's no rhyme or reason to what they do they're just they're just random and slow things down it's not good it's just a really shoddy piece of shit that should never have been released at all in this state to anybody ever but here we are another day well another data east because that's i think who is is that who's behind this in some way it's not a data east arcade but it's copyright data so maybe they had I the think license they may have had for the license for the for the west but i mean goodness me this this is bad nobody should have to suffer this i mean the zap review is is they spell it out pretty clearly this is utterly utterly dreadful with really bad blocky horrible sprites terrible colors really bad design everything's based around gauntlet so it's gauntlet themed really utterly utterly terrible and if that weren't bad enough you've got all this other crap naff 
sound it's just it's just rubbish everything about it's rubbish and um, utterly bad i think this is easily a contender if not one of the it might be the worst arcade conversion of anything i have ever seen and wow. i'll tell you what this makes the student version of gauntlet that we once saw <laughs> makes that look like a complete and wonderful game and i mean and that that's saying something <laughs> I saw that version. This is awful. And I found myself annoyed at this for several different reasons. Firstly, it surprised me that US Gold having, because it was US Gold that did the Gauntlet license, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. The Gremlin converted, didn't they? And US Gold released it. So why would US Gold release this? I don't, why would they release it? Why would it be released unfinished and buggy? I mean, what what are they doing? Who is this for? What audience is this for? Who's, why would you release a crap version of a game that you've already released? This actually shows that they they had absolutely no regard. U.S. Gold originally, their remit for U.S. Gold, according to the man from U.S. Gold in in the Bedrooms to Billions film, he said that his idea was that he would get games that were released in the U.S. and bring them to the U.K. And that's why there were U.S. Gold. There were games that would do really well in the U.S. that, that wouldn't have got a foothold here. And, you know, some young, talented games people, like Bruce Carver and people like that, you know, and some of those early U.S. Gold games. And then you get to a point when there's this. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. I don't get what the motivation is for releasing a broken NAF version of something you've already released that was better. I don't get it. it what it's demonstrated is that they have absolutely no regard. As long as it's trying to make a bit of money and squeezing a few quid out of somebody somewhere, there's a sucker that will buy that. I think it's just so morally apprehensible and offensive. And I know it's business and all's fair in love and war and, and all's fair in love and business. And I get all that. It's, you know, Games are business. But it's only 1988. Is this really the lasting legacy of the games industry? This is the the real games industry that from the 80s that we're talking about now. Not the fantasy world of the Bedrooms to Billions documentary series. Not that fantasy where everything was amazing. This is the real world. You're releasing a crap broken arcade conversion nobody wanted to an unsuspecting world for £10 and ripping people off. And there's been plenty of them. I think it's abhorrent. Uh, and this should should not be should not be allowed to happen. So it got 23%. I would have given this 0.0. So absolutely shit. Utterly and an annoying shit as well. Um, but I expect you loved it. <laughs> I did say we might we might agree on everything. You never know. Yeah, never heard of this in the arcade. And now I've seen the C64 version. I never want to. This awful slowdown ridden nightmare is just another in a long line of substandard gauntlet style clones. The graphics on this are terrible. The, I mean, the, okay, the levels are the same as the arcade, I guess. And they have tried, I say tried, to emulate the arcade sound, but they've not done it. But it's so slow and tedious. The slow did I, the slowdown? Did I mention the slowdown and the flickering oh. sprites? The slowdown in this is beyond belief. It's the worst slowdown I've seen in a long, long time. Broken. It's yeah. It's full. It's just proper broken. Yeah. It's just. It's just. I mean, I, you, you've. I think you've elucidated on it enough. I think you've. You've. You've spelled it out quite clearly. This is just dull. Another example of how desperate publishers are to put anything with an arcade pulse to the machine. That's it. That's all this is. It's just if it exists in some dark corner of an arcade somewhere if someone's got something someone will port it to all the 8-bit machines and then throw it out it doesn't matter about the quality it doesn't matter if we throw enough of them out we'll make money somewhere along the line you know so then this will get a budget release it'll get put on compilations and yada yada it'll pay for itself somewhere along the line but it's ultimately crap and just evidence of bad business practices we have seen for a long time now you know what was going on in the 80s with these kind of games yeah you don't have like what we nearly had nearly a thousand games and oh, it's just no. more rubbish more rubbish no. shackled is a terrible thing there we go that's shackled we've got one more left let's hope it's a good one let's hope bruce lee graham bruce lee is here to save Finally. the day yay good old yay. bruce finally gets a budget release 
Hey, at two pound, yeah. So Bruce Lee got ninety-two percent silver medal. Here we are. The game that really should have been covered in episode zero. <laughs> we really should have covered it then, should we? It's finally here. I don't know why we overlooked it back then. I can't remember. Everyone's favourite martial artist and pre-zap game finally making its way to a budget release and into the podcast. Yes, it's Bruce Lee, re-released by Americana for the princely price of just two pound. So. Bruce Lee. This was originally by Datasoft and coded by Ron J. Fortier with graphics by Kelly Day. We have spoken about this. I just want to say if you, we were guests on the uh, Hands On Hands On Gaming podcast, isn't it? Hands On Gaming it was, podcast yeah. some, some time back where we looked at all the different versions of this game. We did. We did. Uh, so if you're interested in what we think about the Spectrum or the Amstrad or the BBC or the MSX versions, go listen to that. But I'll, I'll go into a bit more detail here, obviously. But yeah, we can see all those versions back back then. So yeah, it's got coded by Ron J. Fortier, graphics by Kelly Day, and music and sounds by John A. Fitzpatrick. After a decent loading screen rendition of Bruce, Bruce Lee, it, that loading screen is really pretty good, isn't it? It's, yeah, very. It, it's really good. Not just for the time. It's really good. It looks dead yeah, like Bruce good. Lee. We get a pretty simple title screen that offers a wealth of options. Now, this could have easily been a simple single-player game. Remember, this is, what was this, 1984 this came out? But no, this game offers four ways to play. you got the standard single-player and standard take-it-in-turns-two-player mode. But more interestingly, the game also offers counter co-op, which, you know, where one player is Bruce and the other is the green, what, sumo, green yamo, it's called, it's a sumo character, the green yamo. Um, and this also goes to two player as well, where you can where you swap controls. So you take it in turns being Bruce or yamo. This is really clever, very forward thinking for the time. And even now, as we get near the end of 1988, it, covering the podcast, it, I don't think we've seen, there was one other, I can't remember what it was though that we saw this in. And I was thinking about it, even in the here and now of 2023, this kind of single player mode with another player taking the role of an enemy in the level are still a pretty rare thing. You don't get that very often. Not very often. Perfect Dark had its counter co-op mode and I'm, I was struggling to think of something else where that was the case. So it's interesting that's in here. Anyway, once you've chosen your mode, you start the game and the look of this is, you know, it's, it's reminiscent to other games we've looked at. It's Conan, the Goonies, Zorro. It's that kind of single screen platformer, puzzly type thing. If you're familiar with them, we've covered them. It's, it's that sort of thing. But this obviously I think was the original one and kind of started those kind of mold of those games, I think. I think this was the first one. When the game starts, Bruce is above ground and you've got to navigate the top three screens in order to open the secret entrance to the grounds below. You see, Bruce is trying to infiltrate the fortress of a great wizard and steal the secret of immortality contained within. So, sat, scattered around the screens are lanterns hanging from the platforms, and all of these must be collected simply by jumping into them on the first three screens, and that opens the door in the middle, middle screen. Once you've dropped down through the secret door, you collect lanterns uh, as you go, and they, that opens up doorways and passages and allows you to pro- progress through the game's 20 screens. But beware, perilous traps await the unwary with pointy scenery and flashing lights on the floor spelling doom for Bruce and the loss of one of his five lives. Should you lose all five, your quest for immortality will have to wait for the next go. The environment is not the only thing that is set against Bruce. There's a fiendish ninja and aforementioned green sumo, the green yamo, and they hunt Bruce down as he progresses through the levels appearing on each screen after a short pause uh, to track you down bruce has uh, bruce can fight back though can do a flying kick or a standing punch to ward off and take out these enemies uh, if you do a flying kick it does more damage than a uh, punch but you've got to time it right but you got to be got to be careful though because yamo can also do a flying kick and a punch and will do and send you on uh, you know send you flying on your ass quite quickly and the ninja is armed with a sharp pointy sword too much contact with any of these will spell a loss of a life for bruce um and that's the game really 
progressed through, try and progress through 20 screens, collecting the lanterns, solving, the, they're not really puzzles, they're just sort of open doors, and try and make your way through to the wizard and press the button to kill him and get immortality, and, and then it repeats, that's it. So this is one of those games that really showed what a decent game could be well before Zap got going. This is predate Zap, and it, along with those kind of other Activision ty- titles, those other seminal titles for the machine that everyone t- tends to look fondly back on. And it's easy to see why really not only does it offer the different modes of play as i've said it, it's fun it's just fun and accessible you know it's 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 enjoyable to play it doesn't punish the player all the time it's easy to outsmart the opponents and navigate the screens the way to progress is clear and readable but you will die and you you know you will things kind of just c- catch up with you you'll get punched there's like light, light sort of laser beams that sort of go across at certain points and you'll just be about to drop down then when the ninja will just poke you in the back and knock uh... you off and you're like ah oh, damn you but it's part of the charm of this in in the way that you kind of got to plan around it and think about it so it doesn't annoy you to the point where you feel it's unfair it's your fault you shouldn't stood there so you know the way to progress is clear and readable like i said most of the deaths are your fault the controls are simple left right up for jump uh, run and press fire to do your flying kick or stand still and press fire to do your punch that's it the speed of the game is nice and fast bruce is quickly you know it's 1984 animation it's two frame animation i'm not it is what it is the graphics are clear presentable and functional above all you can see everything that you need to see everything is clear so the lanterns are obvious you know what you've got to collect you know there's no nothing gets in the way of the actual of you reading the screen it's all very readable there aren't hundreds of annoying enemies constantly bothering you it's just the ninja and yamo and you and that's it on each screen apart from the pointy bits or the sort of electrified fours that's you know it's cool it's it's nice it feels it feels Decent. You know, this period where a game is getting pushed to do filled in 3D or clever stuff with multiplexes and the like, it's just, it was kind of nice to go back to something simple and clever and well designed. Um, this was always my favorite of these kind of games by Datasoft, and it still is. I think I completed this back in the day, um, and I did get fairly far into it again now. The old magic wasn't quite there, but there was enough of it to see me get quite far, and, and I really did enjoy my time with this again. Again, this comes after on the back of the other rubbish we played this week. This is, I think, one of the 64s all-time classics um in in as far as it's just fun it's of its time but it's a nice game it plays well it's forward thinking it's enjoyable and it's i enjoyed it so it's good to see something that stood the test of time and what more can say it's bruce lee it's people remember it fondly and there's a reason for that it's a damn good game what did you think yeah same bruce lee has always been one of the super classic c64 games as far as i'm i'm concerned remember playing it years ago loved it then the little um sort of yamo sound that he makes is it sort of sounds and it goes oh what call it makes it's just really cool um there's nothing i don't like about this game and i put aside the, the fidelity of the graphics because just looking at some of the naff games that we've played the graphics on this aren't, aren't you know they're of their time but they they exactly represent what they need to be in any given moment in that game the backgrounds and the Stuff are all what they are. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of game screen to play. There's plenty of puzzles, to, the puzzles in there to get the, the lanterns and the bits and bobs and all of that and the way that the sort of hit, the hit sequences work with the enemies and, the, and they sort of disappear, don't they, come back. Mm-hmm. I, I really like it. Bruce Lee is a really clever little game. Always was. For two quid, it's a bargain as well. I mean, it's a great game for two pounds. It's mm-hmm. easily one of the best budget titles out there. Um, in certain terms of the re-releases of the budget title, so up there with the Ghostbusters and things like that for one ninety nine, you can't go wrong. It's 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 an absolute must have in any C sixty four collection, Bruce Lee. And a game I I used to go back to, you know, sometimes you 
you got a lot of discs in a disc box um, and or tapes in a tape box either way I had discs and you sat one so you sat there and you think you know and you've got loads of new games in there and I had demos and all sorts of stuff and I'm flicking through and I'm like what can I have a go at I don't know and you'll come across Bruce Lee and you'll be like I'm going to play Bruce Lee because mm-hmm. you know what you're bloody getting yeah. you know exactly what the parameters that that game are it's no more it fully works there's no silly stuff it's just straight in and it's a load of fun that is the power of Bruce Lee as a game. That's its real strength is that you... And there was no period in there my entire time with the C64 where that didn't happen. One of the games I'd flick through, Bruce Lee would be there. I remember I can remember the, the disc I had it on because I remember it had a little blue label in the corner with my handwriting on with Bruce Lee on it. I remember it. And I remember thinking that disc must have had more disc drive time because I played it so much because it was just the go-to game if I was ever a bit of a low ebb or I just fancied a bit of you know not, not just a quick game to play something I'd put it on it's a great great game always was always will be um, and as we said as you said on the um, the other podcast that we played it on um, the hands-on gaming podcast where we played every version of it and I don't think I think there was others that moved a bit quicker and there was others that had a sort of slight different take on things and all the rest of it but the C64 version is a good, compelling version of the game. Mm. Definitely worth it. And 92%, I mean, 92% for a game of this age at budget price. Why did, I know it's a silver medal, isn't it? It should be a gold medal, really. Give it a gold medal, I think. Just for, you know, for, because you can. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, great, great game, Bruce Lee. I really like it. Still do. It's just still, still a great game now. Even when I played it for this, I was on it for hours. It was the game I played the longest out of all the games that we played for this episode by miles, <laughs> yeah. by miles. It was yeah, the one I looked here. forward to getting to, having endured some of the utter crap of Shackled, Crazy Paving, Aquanaut, Marauder, Metropolis, Chubby Gristle, having endured all of that, the chug, chug, chug of Darkseid. I was couldn't wait to get to Bruce Lee. It felt like that moment again. I was flicking through my disc box. I'd gone past Darkseid, Metropolis, had <laughs> gone through them all. And Bruce Lee was like, ah, like the bloody gold case in Pulp Fiction when he opens it, it was right there. And I'm like, thank God that was at the end because I was starting to lose all hope by at the end of Shackle. I'm like, I was so cross. And Bruce Lee brought me back to a bit of C64 game royalty and reality. What a cracking little game that is. Go play it immediately. Go play it. Yeah, I, I agree. It was um, having... Obviously, we revisited it not so long back for um, the Hands-On Gaming podcast. I knew it still stood up, and I knew it was still really good. We still really enjoyed it. It was the reason I put it bang at the end of this. I thought it would be a nice one to end the month on. We know we still like it. It's still very good. And those other games, which I didn't recognize, we're getting all those scores. And I thought, we're going to need something. At least I know this is going to be enjoyable. Exactly. Um, So I I knew we would need something. But yeah, Bruce Lee's great. It's really good. There we go. That's all our games. So what have we looked at uh, this week? Well, we have looked at the following. We looked at Dark Side, which was slow and mm-hmm. just more driller or whatever. And it's not yep. Appreciate the Tech, not the game. Metropolis, which was dreadful. Chubby Gristle, which was horrible. Marauder, which was too hard and too a bit hard. disappointing. Could have been Near better. Miss. Oops, which was pretty good. Probably the best of the mm. new stuff this, this week. Aquanaut. Yeah which was flickery and annoying. Crazy Paving, which was shockingly flickery bad. Flickery and annoying. <laughs> flickery and annoying. Shackled, which was flickery and annoying and slow. Shouldn't have been. And awful. And the ever, uh, ever graceful Bruce Lee, yep. um, which was excellent. There we go. That's it. Um, that's August done. What a month that's been. <laughs> uh, what a the month. epic of August, yeah. 
27 games gone through. Kind of go through the chart before we look. So this is from Commodore User. So the top 10, um, in at number 10 is Alien Syndrome. In at number 9 is European Five-A-Side. Um, I think mm-hmm. that's reviewed next month, I think. Down to number eight is Way of the Exploding Fist from Astatronic. In at number seven, Bruce Lee, Americana. Down to number six, Target Renegade. It's a, that's a bit of a fighty trilogy, isn't it? Way of the Exploding Fist, Bruce Lee, Target Renegade. And then Frank Bruno's Boxing is a new entry at number five. Mm, budget. Mm, budget, yeah, Encore. Ghostbusters down to number f- uh, no, up to number four. Sorry, Ghostbusters, a budget title. Yogi Bear is up to number Goodness three. Me. Ace has reappeared at number two. I can only must presume be, that's a budget, budget re-release. And still... <laughs> For about the third month running, How? at number one is Steve Davis's snooker. Blue Ribbon How must is be that like happening? racking in the pounds. <laughs> I, I don't know quite know what's happening there. That's I don't weird. know. I don't know. I don't know what's gone on. Yeah. Rest of the chat at number 11 is Pacland. Number 12, Impossible Mission 2. 13 is Beach Buggy Simulator, which mm. I think we've got next month. 14, We Are the Champions. Uh, 15, Rally Driver. 16 is Fruit Machine Simulator, Outrun at 17. Konami's Arcade Collection uh, mm. is at 18. Shanghai Karate. Oh, no. Number 19. I don't know what that is. It's from the players, though, so I can't imagine it's very good. And a new entry at number 20 from Go is Bionic Woman. Never heard of it. No, I haven't either. Well, I've maybe. Not even seen an advert for it, as I recall, no. either. No. Uh, no, it is not. I'm not. Coming up next month, what we got next month for, and uh, well, this is a special because these are going to be some of these are going to be in our episode 100 they are yeah so Actually, this yeah. is over the next three months this is 99 100 and 101 so this is a th- another three three episodes to cover this lot we've got games like battleships mm. <laughs> beach buggy simulator mm, i don't like the word simulator on that yeah blood brothers mm-hmm. not sure about- uh dizzy okay. uh, empire strikes back uh, uh, okay. european five aside fernandez <laughs> must die sounds interesting <laughs> Okay. Football Manager 2. Start loading it now. (laughs) I was just going to say that. Start loading it now. iZera. Okay. Uh, Kane 2. Did anyone want that? No. Nighttime. The prequel to the game that we've already played. (laughs) The Missing Link. Uh, Last Ninja 2. Last Ninja 2. All right. That's in there. Mickey Mouse. Okay. Netherworld 19 Part 1. That's based on the song. Great. (laughs) Ninja Scooter Simulator. Oh, lord uh the president is missing (laughs) that's um i've heard that's that's paul norman okay so i've heard that's actually quite good it's a quite sort of a sort of an interesting sort of detective type thing i've seen interesting to check it out professional snooker simulator i've looked at a screenshot of that and i think it might be the fourth time we've played that game (laughs) oh it can't be the same one as the other i I don't know it looks i mean it's just it's it's, i don't know maybe it's not but it looked very similar to something we've played before Road Blasters. Oh, gosh. Yeah, Rogue. Okay. I don't know about Salamander. It's the shoot them up, isn't it? Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Hopefully that's good. It's a Sizzler, so hopefully that's a good version. Slime is Mine. Okay. Uh, Sword Slayer. <laughs> that doesn't sound good, that. <laughs> it's just the most boring title, in it? It's just like, <laughs> yeah. I am the Sword Slayer. What, you slay swords? No. <laughs> yeah, I don't get it. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, don't no get I, I use my sword to slay people. That's not what you said. Yeah, it's <laughs> you not said what you, you slay said, swords. You, your name's wrong. <laughs> it's all wrong. Uh, typhoon. Uh, I've got a. I've got a vector. My vector. Vector graphics yeah. wobbliness is. is uh, yeah. So my vector alarm's just gone off. <laughs> He's gone off. I might have to check the magazine for that. Oh dear. Let me just carry on. Uh, then we've got finally Wizbiz. Okay. 
Whizbiz. Whizbiz, whatever the hell that is. Great selection there, is there? But Salamander is, as I remember it, quite good. We've got Last Ninja 2. Yeah, and that is also, it's actually better than you think. Yeah, Salamander looks pretty good. I'm just trying to One thing we've got to look forward to, of course, with Last Ninja 2 is the amazing Matt Gray soundtrack to it. Yeah, that is excellent. Or Matt Gray slash um, Tangerine Dream. Yeah. True. Uh, Typhoon, you'll be pleased to know, is uh, an arcade vertical scrolling shoot 'em up. Oh, works for me then. It's better than a another <laughs> bloody vector. <there. laughs> yeah, I just I, I had to open the magazine quickly. The only vector one we've got next time, I think, is Empire Strikes Back. Is that um, Slimy's Mine? Is that a silver medal or what is that? It says SM. Yeah, it's silver medal. It's a budget silver medaler. Oh, okay. Okay. So I mean, yeah, there's some interesting stuff there, but I'm sure it doesn't. I, that doesn't look as bad as what we've just gone through. No. I have to say, I'm interested to see what the hell they do with this 19 game. Yeah. Netherworld looks quite interesting. Yeah, 19 looks like a sort of, it's a boot camp thing. So it it looks like a, what was that one? Combat combat school? Is it combat school? Yeah. By the way, when you were looking through the pages of issue 40, Hmm. did you happen upon the US gold advert for Psycho Pigs UXB? I did. I didn't really want to mention it right at the beginning. Yeah. Isn't it terrible? Oh, God. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I know it's of its time, but I just... For those of you that I'm not, I won't describe. It's basically a semi-naked woman with some some turgid sexual observation about it. But it's just the adverts are getting more and more ballsy in that respect, aren't they? It's quite interesting. Mm. So be interesting to start. You know, there's one in there with Gary Glitter. Well, it's it's not good. <laughs> It's not good, that. Yeah, the Gary Glitter one has not aged. No, so he's advertising young person's rail cards. I don't think I don't think Gary Glitter de- being depicted is a good idea. No, in retrospect, just it just surprised me that not so much the Gary Glitter thing that is just horrible, but with the Barbarian and with Vixen that obviously we've looked at Barbarian Two, which has got scantily clad women. We've looked at Vixen, scantily clad women. Psycho mm-hmm. Pigs USB, very scantily clad woman, and quite a you know, a, a, arguably quite an offensive advert nowadays. Really, that sort of thing. Oh, very much so. Yeah, yeah. So I just find it odd. You know, it seems to be heading in a bit of a naff direction. Actually, um, I was. Is it yeah. signs of desperation there? Is it a bit of desperation? I think it's just whatever tries to sell to the sort of young pre, yeah. pu- you know, pubescent or hormone raging teens of the time. I guess just trying to aim at yeah, them, no, aren't I just, they? I just, I just wondered what your thoughts were because you know, I think we're going to start to see more and more less crapverts and more of these horrorverts. Yeah, know. I was tempted to put that Psycho Pigs UXB in as a crapvert, but then I thought, you know what? I think it's not really a crapvert. It's a well, it's it's not tra- crapvert in the traditional sense, as you say, is it? It's not. No. It's just. It's just. It's nasty, over-sexualized. But I think it's such a horrible direction to, to take the games industry advertising that I think it's a, it's a it's a treacherous path to tread in, really, for some of those yeah. people. But sh- sheer signs of desperation, really. I mean, as bad as Vixen was and Barbarian Two are. At least, I mean, you could argue that they're giving the females in those adverts some agency. Yeah. You know, they, they yeah. are the actual, they are the combat fighters. They're not maidens waiting to be that. Psycho Pigs UXB is just, she's sat laying there holding a box and there's the, you know, it's not great. But the Vixen no. one and that, at least there's, I know what they're doing. They're using a pastry model. I get it. But at least they're going, well, at least they kick ass. And there is, yeah. I'm not saying they're great. I'm not. But there's a diff- I think there's a difference between that Psycho Pigs one well, they are characters in the game, aren't they? Exactly. And like I said, they have agency, even if they're in bikinis. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that advert for Psycho Pigs, I was, I was like, when I saw it, I was like, goodness me. Yeah, it's not great. I don't remember them at the time either. They're not, it's not, it's not like, I remember, I remember the Barbarian advert, but I remember, I remember, the it, more for, I remember it more for the game, but I don't remember the Psycho Pigs one until I saw it in Zap and I'm like, oh, that's not yeah, good, is it? Yeah, I, I do remember the Psycho Pigs one. Yeah, here we go. That's it. That's August. That's done. Uh, yeah, we're done. So if you wish to support the podcast you can do that you can do it actually doing a couple of ways now um you can do it if you want to sign up to our patreon 
Um, that is patreon.com forward slash zapped to the past. And you can go there and do that. Um, you can sign up for um, a pound if you just want to chuck us a quid each month. That would be great. Or you can get the full fat experience where you can get access to the episodes early, ad free. You can sign up, you get signed up to our Discord server if you want to come and chat with us and everyone that's chatting live there and get, um, we do sort of high school competitions each week and challenges and things like that. Um, you can ask us questions for our Ask the Podcast and, and stuff like that. Um, and that is for pretty much the price of a pint of beer. Um, alternatively, we do have a, a Kofi now as well coffee i don't know how you pronounce this and that's co ko dash fi.com forward slash zap to the past um and if you don't want to you know regularly sign up if you just want to tip us a quid you can go there and donate as a pound and you know that would be cool um any, anything you know if you wish to do that that would be you know it's nice you can find all links to our stuff as well at uh what's our link tree do you know it off by our i can't remember it um i can never remember the link tree bit <laughs> it's, it's too if you go to linktree and search for zap to the past you'll find us um but yeah so you know and there you can find our twitter and everything and yeah i think that's about it or if you can't do that rate and review us somewhere on something podcast addict or anything you wish uh, that will also helps as well yes so i think that's about it if you anything you wish to add about august graham or anything at all going forward no just a shocking display of horrors with a couple of light-hearted moments in there but not a lot to write home about I thought July would be a tough act to follow in terms of that, but August came along and um, gave it a good run for its money. So let's see where we go in September then. Yeah, let's hope September. As you said, you've listened to this. It's episode 98. 99 is coming, and then there's episode 100. We made it, it to 100, it amazingly. And so look out for that, because there will be some good stuff coming up in that. And that's about all I'm going to say now. I might play some more Bruce Lee. It's really good. It is very good. It is very good. Um, so I think on that note, should we sign off? I think we should sign off. I've been Adrian Mills. And I have been Graham Raddings. And you have been listening to Zapped to the Past, and we will see you again next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Zapped to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptuda, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Ruddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.